Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Kurt. I'm Nick. And this is our review of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Kelly Marie Tran, Andy Serkis, Laura Dern, and Benicio Del Toro. Directed by Ryan Johnson in theaters now, of course, as of this recording in December of 2017. Already $450 million in the opening weekend box office, folks. But thanks for joining us again. And fellas, thanks for jumping in here late again to get in another Star Wars. So I just want to throw it to to both of you. Kurt, I'll start with you. When did you see this and you know your theater experience, all that stuff? I saw this uh, just yesterday at uh, West Edmonton Mall, the biggest mall in Canada. Not a good place to be uh, the week before Christmas. Uh, <laughs> had to go to the overflow parking. It was like a hike just to make it to the theater. Uh, but it was worth it just because, you know, seeing a Star Wars movie. I mean, you had to and, go on a uh, mission to do something that ultimately didn't matter. You should have just gone earlier. A <laughs> little bit. That was, that was ironic. Yeah. Yeah. But come on, it's Canada. You guys are all like super polite. Everybody was probably open the door for you. So I'm probably... Uh, you know, everybody's polite, so I'm sure you had a good time. <laughs> Everyone was miserable, but very polite. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Um, actually, I saw it this morning. Um, unfortunately, we had to come up to Wisconsin for um, a family emergency, so our plans got a little bit skewed. We were supposed to actually see this last week, but um, I did go see it this morning. The theater, uh, local theater by me, is showing it uh, basically for. I want to say 72 straight hours. Um, they're doing it around the clock. So we got 8.30 in the morning tickets. Um, wow. You know, yeah, not, not, not super early, but uh, good timing. So that way we can get home in time for some football in the afternoon. But uh, yeah, 8.30. The thing that was kind of disappointing, though, is we saw it at the Bistro Theater, uh, one of those like dine-in theaters. And yeah. I was kind of expecting them to have like at least like a breakfast menu or something. You know what I mean? Like be able to get like a <laughs> breakfast burrito or a skillet. No, nah, they had their full thing, but luckily they had chicken and waffles. So I <laughs> kind of uh, had a little bit of a sugary breakfast. So you'll have to excuse me if I'm still a little, uh, a little jacked up on the uh, sugar high. <laughs> Well, I actually got to catch this thing twice, fellas, and I, I didn't intend to, but I, I went yesterday afternoon on a Saturday afternoon. I went like at a one thirty showing. Uh, yeah, kind of. A, it was on several screens at, at one of my local theaters here, so I got into one of the smaller venues. There maybe thirty or forty of us in there, so I got to watch through it. And then I, I had. I had avoided pretty much any news about the movie going in. I tried to stay as cold as possible. I mean, I'd seen the trailer a few times and stuff, but I didn't really know much of anything about it. And I had gotten one text from, like, my super Star Wars friend who didn't have a good reaction to it. So I, I, that was the only thing I went in with was, like, really? And I remember coming out of this, and I texted you, Nick, and I was like, oh, man, this is bad. And... um I, another guy that I follow on Twitter, Eric Siska from We Hate Movies, said, everybody that hated this the first time, I promise you go see it a second time, you'll have a different reaction to it just because you'll clear the deck of what you thought it was going to be. And I debated all day, am I going to do that, am I not? So today on Sunday, I finally said, yep, I'm going to go do it. So I went to like a 2.30 showing just a little while ago. I just got out of it and uh, saw it again. And I, I don't think my rating is going to change any from what I was going to give it to begin with, but I definitely got a different look at it having second eyes on it so um 
I think it's cool though that you you both have seen it once, so you'll you'll have a, a different reaction than I did. But that's cool, and so I'm glad we all got to get it in here. And I guess before we go any further, I mean, obviously, spoiler warning. I mean, like we haven't been doing this for two hundred something episodes already, but I mean, we're going to spoil the heck out of it. So if you don't want to know, not going to go watch it. You know, if you stayed spoiler free somehow at this point, but I, I think we need to do a plot summary and then just jump into it. So, Kurt, you're up on this one. Tell us what happens in Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Sure thing. Starting immediately after the events of The Force Awakens, after the Rebels destroy the Starkiller base, the First Order tracks down the Resistance. After a poorly calculated offensive led by Poe Dameron, the Resistance fleet is crippled and General Leia's forces try to run in their one remaining ship. Uh, When they make the jump into hyperspace, they realize the First Order has new technology to allow them to track ships in hyperspace. So rather than go to light speed again, Leia's ship proceeds to just fly forward just out of range of the First Order's guns. Meanwhile, Poe, Finn, and Newcomer Rose make a plan to track down a codebreaker on the other side of the galaxy so as to be able to break into the First Order's flagship, open the door to their tracking device, and allow Leia to jump into hyperspace. Finn and Rose make their way to this distant planet and find the codebreaker, only to be arrested and discover that their cellmate, DJ, also happens to be a codebreaker who can help them. Meanwhile, Rey is being trained by Luke Skywalker on the remote planet where the Jedi were first created. Rey tries and fails to convince Luke to join the Resistance's cause and instead goes off on her own to battle Kylo Ren. Rey is captured by Kylo Ren's forces and brought before Supreme Leader Snoke, who tries to turn her to the dark side while she is trying to turn Ren to the light. Finn, Rose, DJ, and BB-8 sneak onto Snoke's ship, break into the tracking device only to be captured, and it's revealed that DJ sold them out. Kylo Ren turns on Snoke, killing him with Luke's lightsaber. He and Rey defeat Snoke's elite guards. Rey escapes with Chewie under the Millennium Falcon as Snoke's ship is destroyed by Leia's ship as it goes into light speed towards it. Ray, Finn, Leia, and Poe, and the Rebels make a last stand on a nearby planet with an abandoned Rebel base. And when all hope seems to be lost, Luke Skywalker appears to battle Kylo Ren, but we find out Luke is actually astral projecting himself from back on his planet to distract the First Order while Leia and the Resistance escapes. We then see Luke watching a sunset as he fades away and seemingly dies as Yoda did. And the last thing we see is a young boy on DJ's planet casually bring a broom into his hands without reaching for it, gazing up at the stars as we see the Force is not gone in the universe after all. That's a good tight summary for a really freaking long movie. I mean, this is every bit of its two hours and 30 minute runtime. And I. That's as tight as I could get it. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't know the runtime until literally I was standing in line to get buy my ticket and I happened to look down on my little app and it was like two hours and 32 minutes. I was like, holy cow. I was like, well, skip the drink because uh, I might miss something. And uh, now, I, did you did you get it with the uh, frozen the short story the frozen short story in front of it? Because mine was like over three hours. So. Oh, see, I, I did not. <laughs> I, I, the first time I saw this, I got it with a you know a ton of trailers, so it, it you know, that was probably a three hour experience. This time, the the showing I went to actually started at two twenty. I walked in the theater at two forty, and they were showing the Avengers Infinity War trailer, which was the last one before the movie the day before. I actually saw this in the same theater twice, the actual theater. So that was kind of neat. 
so I knew that going in. So my last minute decision, I was like, I know I got time. So uh, I I skipped all the uh, the trailer. I did not see the Frozen uh, uh, short. And goodness, this didn't need to be any longer. Um, so <laughs> as it was, but let, let's get into it. And I, one thing I didn't know was that they were going to pick up like moments the <laughs> past the Force Awakens. Yeah. That was and, odd. Yeah, and uh, what did you think of that? I mean, just as a move, just to pick up, like, you know, boom, 10 minutes later. I didn't dislike it, but it did throw me because I am just so used to, like, you know, uh, each of these movies takes place, uh, I don't know about real time, but, like, you know, a couple years or months after the last one. So when we jump forward, it's the first Star Wars movie where we pick up the literally the moment we left off like ray i think it wasn't ray she's still pointing the lightsaber at luke when we cut back to that scene and uh you know i could i i wouldn't have minded if they you know gave us at least a a week or 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 a a month to uh you know like i would have liked it if we picked up with ray and she was in the middle of training with luke but you know that's not what happened See, I like that because I really don't think there was any other way you could do it that could be satisfying to, I mean, let's just, let's just say it. I mean, Star Wars are the most hardcore fanboys there are. I don't care what other type of movie or, you know, fan base you're talking about. They are very loyal to a fault um, as far as their, their, their passion for this goes. And considering the last movie, we didn't even get one line from Luke Skywalker. I think to basically eliminate what would be his first moments as far as, talking or interacting with ray would leave a lot of people just kind of like oh i wish we would have saw that you know how was their first interaction because even if we would have started let's say like in the middle of her training i think there would have been that question too like oh did he just like pick her up right away was there a little bit of like you know yoda and luke you know back in empire like hey i'm not going to train you yes you are no i'm not who who are you so i'm i i was a little bit like whoa we are picking up right away um but i'm really kind of glad that they did because i think just from a story standpoint it did make sense that it would pick up right away you making that point nick makes a ton of sense and i had not thought of that but you're right we didn't get anything of luke and if they had like put a pause in there what in the heck were those two dudes standing there looking at each other for a week or something because the crawl that they do really explains nothing that we don't already know like this is pretty unnecessary yeah i mean like i I looked at it i was like you know i mean i've read it twice now and i was like you know, that that didn't, I mean, and it makes sense why it doesn't explain anything, because nothing has really happened since the last movie, but it's also like, maybe you should have just skipped it like you did in Rogue One. I mean, I know they couldn't hmm. do that, because people would people are losing their friggin' minds over this movie anyway, but they would have really lost it over that, but, hmm. I mean, for all the things Ryan Johnson seems to want to eschew to the side about Star Wars lore, that crawled... The one, the one. At least it was short, but it didn't really serve any purpose to set anything up. Oh, totally, yeah. totally. But I think, but you know, but it's such a part of the format. I mean, you look at. I mean, I guess the the comparison I'm going to use right here, and it's not what I mean in quality. Is you look at James Bond when they did the yeah. reboot on there with Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace picked up right after Casino Royale. Casino Royale ended. We've never seen that before with the James Bond movie. And one of the main complaints he always had with James Bond, especially the first one, again, with the hardcore fanboys, was they didn't go through that formulaic uh, beginning like they did with the, uh, you know, walking around and doing the gunshot barrel and stuff like that. They skipped that with Quantum of Solace. And, of course, you know, the people people are just they're, – they're, I'm not going to – they're, they're creatures of habit, and you, yeah. you have to have that in there. I mean, it would be – I remember even with Rogue One, though, as much as, like, I enjoyed it not doing that and being something completely different, which I always champion – 
I don't think it would fit for an upper for, for one of the numbered series. And I think that's how yeah. we have to really look at Star Wars is you got the number main series and then you got kind of these side stories that are going to do their own thing. So for me, no, I'm glad that they still did it, even though it didn't tell us anything. But it's still it keeps with the consistent flow of how these movies are framed. I think the other thing, too, and Kurt, you and I were talking about this before we started recording tonight, is that I'm getting used to living in a world where I'm going to get a Star Wars movie every year and I'm going to get episodic ones every two years, whereas before, I mean, it was every three or four. So, I mean, yeah, I saw Force, I rewatched Force Awakens maybe six or seven months ago again just because I just wanted to, and it mostly feel the same about that every every time I rewatch it, and and stuff, but I'm like, you know what? People have seen that. Like, that you don't have to remind them of much. And not only thematically are you picking up right where you left off it, but it hasn't been that long. I mean, it's it's in our consciousness, and so I, it makes total sense to do that. And it, you know, while it is keeping with tradition, it is a little bit of a break from tradition in that that crawl is supposed to really introduce the story. The story's already been introduced, and let's just face it, guys. Ryan Johnson was given carte blanche with, you know, you've got the middle section. Do what you want. They didn't tell him he had to hit any beats. He had to do any things. He could do whatever he wanted because they know they're going to do episode nine and then they're going to do, you know, all these things in between, right? We're going to have all, I can't wait for the Borg spinoff personally, but I mean, there's, there's all these things to come. And so they pick us right up with it. And let's talk about Poe's terribly bad plan that leads to that Pyrrhic victory. You know, I mean, what a, what a suicide run. And I, the fact that they got one bomber through there, first off, the resistance has got to rethink their like structural integrity because when your bomb bidet doors are like wide open to be shot at, that's a problem. Isn't that like a thing? Isn't that like a Star Wars trope though? Is like the you know the Empire or in this case the First Order are very much like sleek up to the date, and then like the Rebels or the Resistance are kind of like, yeah, we got like that 1982 Volvo. It, it, it's it's got to <laughs> work counts, but, but as, you know it's kind of junky, but it works. But as we learned, they're all built and sold by the same group of warlords. So, or are you just selling the crappy ones to the hey, low income but, people? You know, but that's the same thing, though. Even with cars, I mean, it's like, hey, you can go buy a GM. You got a Cadillac, and then you got a freaking, you know, what, you know, like a Saturn, like they used to sell. <laughs> they got different classes there for different classes of people. So, <laughs> so, so the I definitely first order. I definitely be the Cadillacs. The Resistance would be driving the Pontiacs, right? Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly what it is. The resistance doesn't have the money that Snoke does. I mean, come on, Snoke's in there with a freaking smooth, uh, you know, gold, uh, you know, robe and stuff. So they, they got the money. <laughs> I was, I was just gonna say, like the the, the bomber scene. I, I do like that bomber scene, by the way. The that bit where she's at the bottom of it's a very, very star wars scene of like you know something hanging by a millimeter it just needs to fall an extra bit it's like a very indiana jones kind of thing too and i actually really like that when she holds that medallion i don't know if that was meant to be a jedi thing or not that's what i got from it is that she's holding on to it as though she's like using the force and it and then what do you know it comes into her hand um and i like that however i do notice that there didn't seem to be any kind of force field or anything protecting her from the vacuum of space that was right behind her. <laughs> yeah, the rules of vacuum of space in this movie, hold on to that for a minute. We're going to come back oh, yeah. to that in like two <laughs> minutes. But yeah, that, I was like, you know, actually I got this flashback to um, a, a Matthew McConaughey <laughs> I really movie. You guys are gonna, I mean, you guys kneeled, kneeled the guy, you guys like that kneel with the guy's Tyson or something the we're going to talk Tyson. about if this no, really could no, happen. No, we're not, not going to do <laughs> I mean, that. Come on. 
I'm, I'm going to tell you what I thought it was Star ripping Wars. off. Come on. No, this is what this was ripping off was U571, where Matthew McConaughey sends Trigger down. You go down there, sailor, and do your job. Drown, turn it on the damn air hose so I can fire this last torpedo. That's exactly what that was. That's well, all man, that, that, was. That, is, that is a big war trope, though. It's like, I yeah. mean, come on. You know, Randy Quaid in Independence Day can't get that last bomb to go off and stuff like that. Up so it's yours. like that, 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 that <laughs> it is. But if we're going to talk about the vacuum of space, I mean, come on. That's been a Star Wars trope since it started. I mean, you're going to look at something like Empire Strikes Back. They're in a goddamn space slug inside and they're walking around <laughs> in their outer space. So I've been seeing complaints on there and I'm like, guys, well, if you're going to start nitpicking and cherry picking stuff like that, you can pick on every Star Wars movie when it comes to, you know, space logic. Remember, this, these movies, and I can't stress this enough. These are these are children's fantasy movies, and we we right here we're fans because we grew up with these. Well, that's, let's that's let's talk about this. the one thing they do show us though that we've never seen before is when when the uh, Kylo Ren and his group swings around to the front of the lead cruiser, they blow out the window where you know of course Leia and and Abril Akbar and all the leadership or most of the leadership are on the deck. We've never seen people sucked out into space like that. I mean, we saw like droids and clone troopers well, we in. Say- in in we Revenge of the so. Sith, done that way, but we've never seen we've never seen Leia do what uh, what Chris Pratt does in Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> and come back to life to force wield himself back through a door. Yeah, we've never seen that before. But aren't you kind of glad though that they are introducing new stuff? You know what I mean? Where it's like, how, why why wouldn't well, people? The there's a reason for this though. They're setting up a they're, they're setting up a theme though. Is that it's not just Jedi who can use the Force. And I mean, Leaku even calls that out later on. And you you pointed it out in the end of your plot summary, Kurt, about that kid grabbing that broom with the Force. Is that anybody can learn how to use the Force? So this this whole thing is set up to demystify the Jedi, the Force, and everything you think you knew about Star Wars. And that, you know, if you want to tap into it, baby, it's there for you, which seems like such a millennial construct. Well, I think it's also kind of in a way kind of slapping the prequels in the face a little bit because wasn't it, you know, established in the prequels that you had to have basically the prerequisite of having uh, midichlorian levels and stuff like that to be able to use <laughs> oh, the force and everything like that. And that's and that's one thing we'll get into later here is when Luke is training Ray, how they just purposely throw that in our face. Like that doesn't mean shit yeah. when they're doing that. And I, and I, I like that too, because we even saw that in rogue one. I mean, as we talked about that movie, I mean, go back and listen to our review from a year ago where we had the blind guy there and he was obviously some type of force user and he had, you know, a little bit of extra level um, skills. And that's what I like is that, you know what? Sometimes, you know what, you got guy people that are just naturally gifted who have these abilities and stuff like that. And you know what, maybe they're not as fine honed and stuff like that as other people who have trained in it, but it's there. And that's what I, I, I really like that. And you know, the, the way of scene, I will say this is that I didn't really care for it. It's one of the two areas that I really kind of was like, oh man, I would have done this a little bit differently if, you know, anybody would pay attention to me <laughs> if I was making a movie. <laughs> but I do kind I do like what they were going for was that you know, this ability is there if you're willing to accept that it's there. So, well, I'll tell you what it made me think about was I actually, I actually did. Some people say that they hated that scene. They thought it was silly. Like they, people call it the Mary Poppins scene because of the way she's flying through space. I actually thought that was actually pretty cool that like she, you know, she's the daughter of Darth Vader. She's strong with the force and she, she, that she could do that. I thought that was cool, but at the same time, this happens a couple times throughout the movies, and obviously there's the you know the tragically you know we lost Carrie Fisher, so I, and uh, I I heard, I thought I heard that they didn't finish making the movie, 
So, and then the trailer, they make it look like Kylo Ren is going to shoot her ship. And they make it look like, okay, so they're going to, you know, in a certain kind of work it into the story, they're going to smoothly transition Carrie Fisher out. And that happened. There's like two or three different scenes where it's like, okay, I guess this is it. They're like, she's obviously, she's obviously dead. And they kept bringing her back. And I, I, I couldn't help but chuckle at that because it's like, they're just making it they're making it feels like they're making it so much harder for the next guy because like oh there's so many times where it's like okay she's dead and and uh and now it's just like they've run out of you know smooth transitions to work her death into the movie so now the only way to start the next movie is you know with her funeral right well uh, or maybe Andy Circus can mocap for her because as we'll learn in a little bit he doesn't have anything else to do now so uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, as we get into it, let's talk about though we we do get back to Ray trying to convince Luke to get back in the fight, and I, I'm going to tell you like the, when I first saw him do it, I was like, "Whoo, that's not the you know reaction I expected." Actually, kind of like the the snarky ass humor that Mark Hamill plays this. Love with. it. She hands Love him it. that lightsaber, and he's like, "F you," and just walks <laughs> off. And I was like, "Ooh, Luke's a bitter old man." And I was like, "Wait a minute, you know what I've learned about Jedi's in exile? They're all bitter old people." <laughs> you know, Obi. Obi-Wan Kenobi was a bitter old dude. Yoda was a real pain in the ass for about half of Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, no, kind of gun. And and look, Mace Windu was always a bitter dude. So, I mean, these guys, like, they they were real stick up their ass. They totally do. And and one thing I do, we did kind of gloss over a little bit was uh, we do get thrown in the snoke and stuff like that again with Hux and with uh, Kylo Ren in the beginning of the movie. And one thing I do kind of like about this movie was. It, it brought up a lot of the stuff that people didn't like about The Force Awakens. Uh, with Snoke was belittling Kylo for like, you lost in a lightsaber fight against someone who's never used it before, and just sitting there and just ragging on this guy. And, you know, that's something also we'll get into a little bit more is I just, with the development of Kylo Ren, and just, you know, he's actually, I think of all the evil villains that we've had in this movie, the first one that's very understandable, at least from my point of view. But just kind of getting into your thing with like Luke and just being able to kind of segue into someone I understand is, you know what? I'll, you know, Jay, you're you're older than both of us, and yeah. um, I'm not saying that as a put down at all. I'm just kind of saying it's like a career, and sure. you've been in your career for a long time. And you look at someone like Luke Skywalker, who that's that's his career. You know what I mean? And it's just been something where, in the end, at least from what we learn later, is like it's it didn't go real well towards the end. And for me, I thought it was really a nice little fresh of breath air that we got this guy his, who's not the Alec Guinness. You know what I mean? He's not playing the Obi-Wan Kenobi role that we saw in a, in The New Hope, where it's like, oh, I'm going to train you on this and that. It's kind of like a mixture between kind of like that Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of spunk and then the beginning Yoda that we saw in Empire Strikes Back where he's real like kind of like, screw this. And mm-hmm. when he threw that lightsaber, I was laughing. I'm like, yes, that, that's how I always envisioned Luke. I never envisioned him as like this stoic, bearded, I'm going to be the, you know, the, the um, who was the Liam Neeson played in the uh, Phantom Menace, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah Qui-Gon yeah. side guy. Yeah, it's like, this is the guy who was brought into this at a late age. You know what I mean? He lived, he lived a poor man. He got into this stuff and he had to kill his freaking father. He killed the father that he never knew. And for what? It all happened again. This guy would be bitter. He's going to be sitting there going, what's the freaking point? I mean, it's like anybody, I think, like if you talk to like any old politician now and they see all this junk that's going on nowadays, not to get too political here, but I could see that totally being the thing. It's like, guys, this is this is so stupid. It's it's just cynical. And me being a very, very cynical person, I really related a lot to 
especially Luke in this movie where it's like, you're just going to come here and you're just going to expect me to freaking train you. Who the hell are you? You know what I mean? I left. I left to get away from this crap and you come and seek me out. I don't freaking know you. I don't want anything to do with you. And I think that makes so much sense because even something in the force awakens, people were sitting there going like, why would Luke leave? You know, Oh my gosh, why would he not be there? And now we know. And that, that totally makes sense for his character to be like that as opposed to being like, Hey, I'm going to train you and we're going to take this on as so many people were just doing fan fiction before this. And so, yeah, I just think it's really, really great to see a different type of character in this movie. I think I want to say something here that may get me on the wrong side of a lot of fanboys who are not happy about this, but I'm going to tell you, the first time I watched this, I was like, well, I don't know, is this really Luke? And I'll be honest with you guys, I thought, you know, I wanted to think about that for a minute. So I went back and I kind of, I didn't rewatch him, but I just went back and looked over, you know, notes and things that I knew about the previous Star Wars movies that Luke had been in, not Force Awakens, right? And I said, you know what? Luke is an impetuous, emotional guy and he gets affected by stuff and he sometimes makes really rash decisions. And I think when Yoda's force goes from jumping ahead a good bit here, comes back and kind of scolds him later about, you know, you're always missing what's right in front of you. And I'm like, that's actually pretty true to character. So seeing this a second time, I had a different appreciation for the fact that I'm like, I think Ron Johnson and Mark Hamill work together to go, you know what? Um, the, Luke doesn't need to be Alec Guinness. He doesn't need to be Liam Neeson. And he doesn't need to be Darth Vader. He doesn't need to be Yoda. He needs to be what Luke would be as an older guy who, again, all, all of his work and it all burned down in front of him. Now, he has some real selective memory as to, and, and doesn't always tell the entire truth from a certain point, sort of, of, view. point of view. Yeah, yep. exactly. But you can get it out of him just like you can all the other Jedi. <laughs> and so I, I, on second again, looking at it again, I'm like, I know this is going to be a shock to a lot of people, but this is pretty much exactly how Luke should have gone down, I think. I mean, at least in terms of the way he he acts. And I think it's amazing that they never get him off this planet, besides the insidious astral projection that we talked about in the plot summary. So I, I think it's pretty true to character. So, Kurt, you jump in. We, we've had our say. Well, I was going to say, uh, I think one thing about I, I, Luke's role, I, I do like... Luke in this movie, I think Mark Hamill steals the movie with his with his performance. I thought what he did was very similar to what Harrison Ford did in The Force Awakens, where there was a little like like I was like went into Force Awakens and this little bit worried. It's like it's been a long time since he's played this guy, and especially Mark Hamill. It's been a long time since he's just been in a movie uh, similar to Carrie Fisher. And uh, but I was I was so relieved that right away I was like, oh my, like Mark Hamill hasn't missed a step. He is uh, not necessarily the same guy, but I thought as far as his acting, he was up to, he was up to snuff with everyone else in the movie, but his role in the movie, uh, I, uh, I don't know. depends on who you ask. I've, I've heard Mark Hamill himself say he's got some issues with how Luke has been handled in, uh, these movies. He's been very vocal about his criticism about how Luke was handled in force awakens. Like, he does like he, he he didn't know until the last second that he really wasn't in the movie except for for one scene. He thought that Luke should have been in the movie. He should have been present when Han was killed, and so should have Leia, as opposed to people that have known him for only you know twenty minutes, like Finn and Ray. Um, and I thought some of for the most part, Luke. I like Luke as like you know it kind of reminds me of a Creed. I like the idea of like you know in Creed, Rocky is the new Mickey. And in this, you know, uh, uh, Luke is kind of the new Yoda or the new uh, 
uh, Obi-Wan. I did like that. However, some of the stuff they did with his character, I didn't like. And the big one is like the, the whole selective memory thing where we get into uh, Luke's Jedi Academy where it's made very clear and Luke admits to it that he was this close to murdering his uh, nephew and the son of his best friend. And to me, that was like, that 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 would that took me out of the movie. It was so dark because I didn't buy that for a second. It's like Luke Skywalker is not a child killer, and like yeah. he, he pulled himself he out of child. it. He wasn't a child though. I mean, you look in there; he was easily you know a young man, if not you know college age. So, can I say I just, just I, though about about that? I, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing with you entirely, Kurt. But just going with the character motivation, and it, th- and then Luke has this whole bit when he's working with Ray and trying to see if she, you know how she can tap into the Force and all that, and they do have a little hilarious scene where he slaps her with that stick, which I did think was good and funny, um, because we haven't talked about her yet. Daisy Ridley is who steals the movie for me in this one. She's amazing in this, but we'll we'll get to her in a little bit. But when he's doing that and he talks about how you tapped into the darkness and didn't let it go, Luke's always been able to tap into the dark side of the Force too. We talked about it when we did return of the Jedi, Kurt, and how just vicious that fight is once he gets super pissed off at Vader mm-hmm. and the way he just goes at him, you know, broadsword style. I was like, Luke is has always been scared of how to use the darkness. And I think that's the amazing thing and the cool thing they've done with the Kylo Ren character. And Nick, you mentioned this a minute ago, is that he's not afraid to tap both sides of the fence and use everything he's got to get what he wants. And Ray can do that too, and that that is a different level of Jedi. But I think just for the Luke conversation here, this totally makes sense to me. No, he's not a child killer per se. Like that may jar people, but the fact that Luke would get like really scared and freak out and try to kill somebody because that you know he gets afraid of him, I could totally buy that. Yeah. Well, how about this? How about this? You know, that's always like one of the questions that's always asked of people. It's like if you could go kill Hitler as a kid, would you? And I really think that's kind of the question that they were asking here mm. was that Luke already defeated Hitler, you know, so to speak. He, I mean, the, the Empire's always been an allegory for the Nazi party. And he saw it, he beat it, and he's, in his opinion, seeing it happen again. And that's his thing is like, whether it's, uh, you know, his relative or not, Luke has a job to do. And that is, as he said, to keep balance on the force. And to, you know, in his, you know, and what he was doing at the time was to basically make a whole new Jedi order. And he's seeing it happen again. This, this is the same thing that happened with Anakin. Anakin, from, you know, what he knows was a Jedi and he went bad and look what happened. And he's seeing it happen again. And we learned too, you know what? He did pull out his lightsaber. He had it aimed at him and stuff like that, but he relented. He was questioning himself. It wasn't like he was like, I'm going to kill this guy and. I'm going to, you know, and Kylo just happened to wake up and, you know, Ben happened to wake up and stop it. He relented. But again, though, it's that question, though. It's like if you could kill Hitler as a kid, would you? And I think that's what was going through his mind is as morally bad as it is to, you know, kill someone when they're sleeping, kill an innocent or something like that. In his mind, it's like we can't have this happen again. And then it does happen again. Needs no matter what. Way, the and, needs and, of the fewer yeah. the one, you know, that's exactly, that, exactly, that exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, that's what I mean, and that, that's why I think people have such problem with this movie, especially with some of these, uh, you know, kind of you know Star Wars fans that are older, you know, kind of you know mine and you know our age, Jay, um, is that the Jedi have always been, in the, except for in the case of Anakin, have always been very one-sided. They don't have many layers to them. It's they're good or they're bad. There's no in-betweens, and the only time Lucas tried to do an in-between, he failed miserably. But um, 
that's what this is, is we're seeing layers in these characters, something we've really never seen with Star Wars when it comes to the stoic Jedi. They've always been the monks. They've always been the honorable samurai. And to see who I think people have always elevated as like the ultimate good guy are so wrong because Luke was never that guy. Luke was never Yoda. Luke was never Obi-Wan. Luke was always someone who was balanced. He had darkness within his light. And right here we're seeing the darkness come out of Luke a little bit. And that's what I don't get. It's like when I'm seeing these people complaining, I'm like, have you guys not really ever just looked at this from outside the woods? You know what I mean? It's like, you gotta see, you gotta, you know what I mean? It's just like, I just find it insane. It's like, we're actually having real characters here. And I know that's not star Wars, but to me, it's refreshing. It really is. And just seeing like Ray and her struggle with Luke and everything like this, I'm like, yes, thank you. I'm like, it's not a five minute thing where they finally like, okay, I'm going to train you. It's like, it's it's got emotion it's got conflict it's got people bickering it's it's real characters i i i see what you're saying but i'm i uh i will say i was so taken aback by the image of luke skywalker with his lightsaber out contemplating killing his nephew i was so taken aback by that that i i, I couldn't uh you know uh, get into it because they move on so quickly after that uh, and also, it just to me, it, it just it didn't seem like the Luke I knew because at the end of Jedi, he totally shuns the dark side. Like that bit where he's about to kill Vader and he throws the lightsaber aside and tells the Emperor, "No, you failed, Your Highness. I'm a Jedi like my father before me." And like he's totally, you know, he's come full circle and he's just he's a good guy. And so, to say well, that well, he, Go I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off at all, but like. When we look at this from like what Luke has learned about the Jedi, and I'm gonna get really, really deep here, so I do apologize, but like <laughs> when Luke was learning about the Jedi from Yoda and stuff like that, he really didn't learn about the Jedi per se. And that's one thing I just I, I was like, yes, thank you so much, is when Luke was talking about the Jedi and how they were failures, how they let the Empire grow, how they let them succeed yeah. because of their arrogance. So, yeah, you know, at the end of Jedi, totally makes sense. I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to be that. But we learned, though, Luke was doing research. Luke was learning what we saw in the prequels, which I think kind of Lucas did accidentally, was that the Jedi themselves were extremely arrogant, and they caused all this by their arrogance. And I think that's why Luke was like, you know what? I'm not going to be them because they were wrong. And I think that's why he's got all this conflict in him. It's like he wants to be able to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish when he started the young Jedi, but it's happening again. You can't keep on doing this. This is insanity. We're doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm expecting a different result. That's insanity. I want to so jump. That, that, I want to jump in. I jump in here real quick, just on the Luke on uh, trying to kill Kylo for a second, and then come to the point that you just made, Nick, because uh, I I don't entirely disagree with what you're saying. We get the the truth of it finally in the third revelation. I mean, there's one version that's Kylo Ren's, which is he wakes up and Luke's trying to kill him, and he's like, "F that." And then there's Luke's version, you know, uh, or no, Luke's first version is, you know, I just went to confront him, and then he burned down the house. The real one was Luke pulled the lightsaber out and was gonna hit him, and then was like, "What the hell am I doing?" and stopped. And then he says a great line, and I I really caught it the second time, which is all I saw was the look of a boy who had been betrayed by his you know his master. And he was, and that was when I knew I had flipped over, flipped him completely over to the dark side. And Ben reacts exactly the way he has been taught to. Like, forget that. 
you know, and well, he gets didn't, out but of he it. didn't know, but he didn't know that Luke had like second thoughts there. He sees a guy standing exactly. over the lightsaber. That's, that's what I'm what saying. What the hell though. is he, he going to do? Exactly. And no that, matter, and, that's exactly, he's defending yep. himself. He's doing the natural thing. So I get it. And, and I know it is a jarring way to look at Luke Skywalker. But I think you, you've really hit on it, and I, and I said it at the beginning, and I'll say it again. Ryan Johnson's central theme here is in a line that Kylo Ren says, you know, let the past die, kill it if you have to. And it's the idea of we got to get out with the old and in with the new. we got we got to burn down the traditions, and they literally do that in this movie. And with, with the glaring exception of the one actor, they actually can't get back. But, but they, I mean, this movie is, it doesn't have any real thematic, look, it, it, there's a middle act and it just, it's, uh, everything goes to hell continually. That's the whole, this could be Star Wars, everything goes to hell. And, and that's what it is. But the, the thesis is we are going to burn down everything that you thought you knew because you know what? You didn't really know it. And if you really look at it, I mean, you got to go back to an old Billy Joel song called Keeping the Faith. But he's got a great line <laughs> in it that says, uh, the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. And, and in the middle of always greener, right? Yeah, in the in the middle of change, sometimes it can be like that. And I think that's the thesis of this movie. And so they are it is a it is an affront and it challenges you. But I'm with you, Nick. I'm excited about the fact that I'm getting a Star Wars movie that I'm not just sitting there vegging through because it's uh, you know, it's it's sci fi space opera fantasy. It's actually making me think. You know, I didn't expect to have to like put my brain into to gear to watch this, you know, you could see a Marvel movie. Like I went and saw Thor Ragnarok. I've seen that twice. And I'm like, man, you can totally turn your brain off and have a blast in that movie, you know, because that's what, that's what it wants you to do. This movie though, wants you to enjoy all the spectacle, but you're going to have to rethink what you think, you know, about Jedi and star Wars and all that. And I will credit them for being bold enough to do that. I, I don't know that I agree with every decision they made, but at least the impetus was right. I think. Well, Kurt, let me ask you a question, okay? Sure. So I know you like right now, it's a lot of it's a shock effect, I think, with you right now. So do you think, though, with, you know, coming to terms with what you saw with Luke and maybe just kind of like, maybe just kind of thinking more from like his point of view as opposed to kind of, you know, the EU stuff that kind of came up and, you know, everything with like Luke, do you think it might be something, though, within a couple months, a years or something like that, that you may come around to more in the future? I think I I will say that with with that element of Luke Skywalker, that is something I could come around to because like like I said, like I was it was so taken aback because it was like something out of The Shining. Because I mean, like you know, it's like a father about to kill his kid. Because like, if that if Here's that was Lukey, yeah, it's like if that was if that was just say like some random kid. It's the fact that it was like his literal blood. It that that did take me out of it. Um, um, but I, I, yeah, I will say I didn't get to see this movie a second time before doing this. I was able to see it twice with the last two Star Wars pods. And I do say I do wish I could see it again just to get past those expectations because I didn't really have ex- big expectations for this movie because uh, just because there's been other movies that came out where I had bigger expectations and were a, a bigger deal. But I do say I, w- uh, I will see this again at, at some point and uh, it will – I don't know if I'll like it more, but it'll definitely be a, a, a different experience. And I think that's kind of something I'm seeing really a lot of people have is like they were shocked by how it really does kind of change the tropes. And I kind of wrote a little quick little post about this too is like kind of what this is really reminding me of. And you guys know I'm a big Game of Thrones fanatic and really how that took a lot of token lore and really kind of put it on its head. 
You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, this is fantasy, the same stuff, but oh my God, they're doing this and they're changing this. And that's really a big draw for that type of series was like, they're taking those tropes and they're just completely twisting it around. But I I get what people are saying though. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and like, you know, people are all going to be subjective with their opinions on this stuff. I mean, that's just how it is. But when it comes to them actually doing it within the same series, yeah, that's you know what that that is bold. It's a big risk. I mean, that would be like, hey, WB is going to make a sequel to Lord of the Rings, and they're going to kill Aragon within like the first like twenty minutes or something like that, like Ned Stark wise. And people are probably going to have an adverse reaction to it because this is not what I'm used to with this series. I'm used to kind of an A B C plot here, and they're going to hit these beats, and it's going to be exciting and this and that. But one thing, too, is like when I would have to imagine that when Empire came out, that was so drastically different than Star Wars. And we didn't have social media back then. We didn't have people giving their second by second reactions when it came out. And I got a feeling that when Empire came out, as much as it was critically hailed, I got a feeling that the audience at the time probably wasn't like, oh, my God, this is the best Star Wars movie. They're probably like, wow, this is Not, quite a bit hey, different a, than as what I As someone who was alive and saw that in theaters when it came out, and I was a kid, I can remember what my reaction to it was. My reaction to it was like, holy cow, that was amazing. I can't believe Luke survived that with Darth Vader. What's going to happen next? That movie was built on mm-hmm. a different set of arc than this one. Because even though everything goes to hell in that movie, and that's it's supposed to, it ends with that that moment where you're like, mm, you know, they're about to gear back up and and you know go back on the fight and stuff. So it's a different feel. But you're you're right. It taps into that. We, we but but get, you also had you you also had a kid perspective though back this then. This is true. Too, you know I, I, I mean? did. Yes. I mean, we're talking about that was 1983. So that it's been a minute since I that was 34 years ago, guys. <laughs> so, so it's been a minute since I saw that, but I do remember it directly. And you can go back and listen to my Kurt's review that if you would hear more about that. I want to get back into the movie though because we haven't talked about Finn yet. And if there's one thing I I wish was different about the Last Jedi. It would be what they do with Finn and John Boyega. I think he's a fantastic actor. I think he plays this role great. And I feel like he gets sent on a fool's errand for the entire movie only to get a one good scene finally against his nemesis when he can take out Gwendolyn Christie, you know, Phasma at the end. But I, I really wish Finn had been given something more interesting to do because all he does is waste his friggin' time. And then at the end, he has a great moment to be a huge hero and his, some girl he met who shocked him because he was trying to escape. It falls in love with it. What? I I was really like head spun with what they did with him. I felt like if there was one character Ryan Johnson didn't know what to do with, it was Finn. Yeah, I, I will say Finn, like John Boyega, he is amazing. He was great in Detroit, another movie that came out this year, and he and he's he's good in this. I'll say that. Look, my problems with the movie, none of them are with the actors. The acting in this movie is is first rate. Um, but. Like the acting and the dialogue is fine, but it is, and this plays into you know Finn's role. It the story in this movie, like if you just write that, like literally the plot. As I was writing, typing up that plot, I was like, "Is it me, or is this the dullest, most boring plot uh, in in a Star Wars movie?" Because of like the this <laughs> Finn's Finn's story is very connected to you know the, the the chase element of the movie, and this this chase we get, I was i was i don't think it was meant to be funny but i was i was chuckling every time we kept cutting back to leia's ship and they're still going 
what looks like <laughs> 10 miles per hour. I just kept thinking of that line in The Simpsons with, damn, they're very slowly getting away. And I thought that was like, I, I don't know whose idea that was, but but I just thought that was kind of laughable. The, 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 the unbelievably slow pace of that chase compared to like, you know, Mad Max Free Road where, you know, everyone's going, you know, 90 miles an hour during that entire movie or Empire Strikes Back where, you know, when the Millennium Falcon has a Star Destroyer behind it, it is gunning through asteroids. You know, it's it's whipping all over the place. And or listing the, lazily to the left. <laughs> exactly. And it was and I thought it was funny. And like yeah. if this was Guardians of the Galaxy or, 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 or any other movie, they would make fun of that. It's like because I just kept thinking this happens a lot in the movie of like, you know, that Star Wars thing of like just barely making it. Th that chase is such because it, it's like that takes up like two hours of the movie is that like they're being chased for two hours i kept thinking how the hell why is the empire the first order why are they not hitting the gas why are they not launching their, well, they, uh, they, their drop they drop a line they drop a line that they they're faster enough they're just fast enough to stay just out of our range general hucks fine keep shelling them anyway and i'm like now there's two things that i have a problem with with this we've never established and maybe it's time that we do, but we've never established that fuel was a, a, a resource that wasn't infinite yeah. in Star Wars. So now all of a sudden it is. But somehow ammunition is not. <laughs> because the, <laughs> the First Order fires about 25 million shots. Now, look, I know a lot about the Navy and like naval warfare. I'm a, I'm a fan of it. I've grown up watching it, listed a lot of it. My dad served in the Navy. You don't just keep shelling at things. Just because you're just out of reach of them, just to let them know you're there. They know you're there. That's, I mean, General Hux is a terrible uh, logistician. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is running up the accounting bill. I mean, there's that joke on Family Guy, like Jerry, every shot costs us something. Don't do it, <laughs> you know. And I was, I was sitting here thinking about that. I was like, oh, Seth MacFarlane's going to murder this because it is just dumb. And to back to the Finn, though, I feel like he gets given the plot that Obi Wan Kenobi got in Attack of the Clones when he had to go run down the cloners and stuff. And while some of that was kind of fun, you know, if you remember back to when we reviewed it, it ultimately was just a way to keep him in the movie without a letting do anything and it I was like, well yeah it's the, the same, same time like here. we got this in that in, in attack of the in attack of the clones though in you know the uh, this offshoot story with obi-wan we got one of the better fights in the store in the in all the movies with Django fed and obi-wan yeah finn gets he gets to ride on a, a cgi goat horse deer thing and like, yeah, it was a very weak plot. And again, this whole thing of like the the plot to find a coat. Of the, like I, I just chuckle thinking about it. The whole this Finn's entire role is to find a guy to pick a lock to open a door. And one that is just lame. It's like what? Like like they can't eat, like spice it up, have him blow up a door. Also, we've had this is the ninth Star Wars movie where we've had nothing but scenes of droids tapping into computers, unlocking doors. And now it's like literally there's the scene where, you know, Benicio del Toro opens it up. It looks like a, like something out of the seventies. There's literally like a, like, like a, some, it's this crappy I, circuit board. I think and, the and room Matthew Broderick water. breaks out of in war games is more complicated than the door he breaks. In. Yeah. Like it really is. <laughs> yeah. But I, that, I do gotta I do gotta bring up a point though, guys, is every Star Wars movie really does have trouble minus the first one. And I mean that by with a new hope, really do have kind of trouble with what to do with some characters. I mean, even with Empire Strikes Back, I mean we got this whole thing with them hiding in a space slug. Really, it's like you know, to me that was just time filler why Luke was training with Yoda. We get a lot of that stuff, even like with um 
you know, Return of the Jedi, like the whole thing. I like the Ewok village. That really Here's, is like, really do we? Need let me help this? you with that, though, Nick. Hold and on, then hold the prequels do that all the time. Yeah, but but wait, wait a minute. The space slug thing that you brought up. I want to say that though. The thing that that was doing though, that was advancing the obvious budding relationship between Han and which Leia. I think that's what they were trying to do though with Finn and Rose. Whether it worked with you or not, you know, again, yeah, but it did. That's the thing yeah. is, it didn't. Like I got that they like connected and were friends or whatever, and maybe had like a you know similar mindset, like they were working on a goal. But when she pops up in the well, worst on screen cast ever, by the way, at the end, when she does, I'm like, that's not that didn't seem earned at all. Like there was nothing there, and it's because too you got to remember in A New so- Hope, Luke and I mean Han and Leia had had like tay to tay. So this was just a continuation of it in Empire Strikes Back. There's been nothing to set this up for Finn, and that's why this feels so perfunctory. That's the word I came up with for for this. It's just it, his whole plot in this movie yeah. is perfunctory. It, and I, I, I do not disagree that I think that some of that casino stuff really could have been cut back. I do find it real interesting about this third party out there making money off of this war. I think that's a really, really great thing that they – kind of tapped into here but no I'll, I'll never argue with anybody that i think the middle section especially with finn was a i think they could have cut 20 minutes out with that i think they could have done something where benicio del toro was part of the rebel or the, the reliance and he was the one that was allowing them to track him you know what i mean and then you find out in the end this guy's a double crosser or something no no I, I totally agree with that but i think really kind of what is with rose is I think her infatuation with Finn, and she kind of said in the beginning was that, you know, she was hearing him through this, you know, through the pipes, and her sister talked a lot about it. And it's a, it's a woman in mourning. And I think in a way that she was just like trying to find some can, type of Can we talk about, though, how she like, deifies him for something that in timeline-wise happened like three hours ago? <laughs> like that, that seems to like word got around real fast. Maybe they have yeah. space Twitter. I don't well, know. But I mean, really? Yeah, they they would have to. I mean, my gosh. I mean, how quick are we learning stuff nowadays? You know what I mean? <laughs> I know when someone just went to the bathroom, thanks to Twitter. So I, I wouldn't doubt it that in this uh, this world of light speed and laser swords that, you know, I'm sure someone was using a galactic Twitter going like, hey, this Finn guy's kind of kicking our ass down here on the, you know, one of the stormtroopers being like the that. Starkiller like, base. Oh, shit. Hope I don't yeah. get shot by Finn I, by FN2816. He mopped my floor yesterday. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there was stuff like that going on. So. So, but, yeah, I mean, we, we get this. This is another thing that this kind of ends up with Act 1 and we can get into Act 2 a little bit here is – Ray and Kylo conversing through the force. And I saw someone that called this force texting. And I kind of like that phrase because I think that's sort of how their conversations go. It would be like text messages back and forth between people. But I, I sort of like the conceit of that because uh, you got to have the younger generation, right? Well, we had, to, we had that set up, though. I mean, Luke and Vader had that at the end of uh, Empire where they yeah, were talking with each other yeah but they weren't like astral projecting each other's place like ray can see where he's standing around tells him to put on some clothes and he's like i can't see you but he can feel rain on her face like that there's some neat stuff going on there that we've never really established like are you jumping through a wormhole what's happening it's kind of cool it's just different but it's a good way to have those two people communicate and i will say this for for any problems i have about this movie adam driver and daisy ridley are really really kinetic together they have incredible chemistry on screen and he he has a brooding weird presence he's just a weird looking dude uh but daisy ridley can play so fierce but yet so confident and straight and i i again can't say how much she carried this for me like her performance is the best thing in the film uh 
Well, just 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 quickly about the the, the force texting thing. Like that has been established with with uh, the whole thing of you know Anakin could you know he can sense like when his mother's in danger and that bit at the end of Empire when Luke's hanging off of the uh, the the array there and he, you know he's saying Leia hear me and that great bit where she just kind of it's not as though she's having a conversation but she can just sense Luke's in trouble and it was. I, I thought it was a, it was it was it was pretty powerful, but the way Ryan Johnson films it, like because the the idea is good, but the way Ryan Johnson is filming it, it took me out of the movie. I was like, I thought that this is really weird, because it's like it's I can't imagine what that looked like, like if you could if you could actually see what Ray's doing. It's like it didn't come off as like as she's in the same room as him and like they're having a conversation, but it's filmed and framed as though they're talking to each other in the same room. And again, it was it, that was one of these things uh, where it was it was it was too weird for me to uh, to go along with it. It took me out of it. I was like, this is weird to see in a Star Wars movie. It, it is a little different for a Star Wars movie, but just how else would you frame that though? I mean, I think that they well, I they're, they're I would talking to each other. Go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would just say I would just well I would well two things. One, my thing is I would just not do it. Or two, I would have them somehow actually communicate like via technology, like via some kind of video phone or something that would that would give give away the whole location of Luke. But I think that would have been like like well again, I, my thing is I would just not do it. But how what is she gonna do though? I mean, is he gonna send her like a friend request on like Space Facebook or something, <laughs> being like, We're gonna start talking? I mean, like like you said though, they they've established these rules before, like like I said, like with Luke laying hurt at the end of Empire in bed and like also like Vader's talking to him and well, everything like that. They, they've established that these people can talk with each other through the force. I think it's just that when they're going to have something that's more than a five second snip, snippet of like father, you know what I mean? Like at the end of Empire, that's I think it's the most logical way of framing it is like. These people are talking like they are in the same room, so we're going to frame it like they are in the same room. And I like the contrast that was going back and forth. I like it where she's yelling at him and stuff, and he's kind of you know doing it back with them. And it was a great way too, though, for it to – that was the whole crust of it, though, was her talking to Kylo and then her talking to Luke and – we're we're her in these in in these scenes because we're learning this because Kylo and Luke have all the information, and us just like Ray are trying to learn this information. So to me, I I really enjoyed it and I love their back. I agree with Jay. I just I, think they're back and forth and their chemistry is phenomenal. I'll see this and and I will agree that it is jarring to see this the first time, like because it's so out of. I mean, even though the construct has been there, the way it's done is so different than what we've seen before. But again, on this second viewing and going in realizing. Ryan Johnson is here to tear down everything we thought we knew about Star Wars and establish things that we hadn't seen before. And he was given the order, you can do that. And he went and did it. And I get it. Like, I'm like, I, I see why these two people would carry on like this, whereas before we hadn't seen anybody do it. And so it's it's a little different. Now, I, I don't disagree with you, though, that I don't know that it's framed entirely correctly. And I the part of it that really gets me is the I can see where you are. I can feel where you are. Like, it, it'd be fine if they were just having these conversations and walking around in different rooms. I think I would have been OK with that. It's that they can almost literally touch each other and all that. Like when they touch each other in the thing before Luke breaks it up and all that. I was like, that was getting a little beyond maybe what I what I wanted them to do. I get what they're going for. I just I 
didn't care for it as, as a construct. But, but you also got to remember, too, was that these encounters were also being amplified. Is this wasn't just yeah, their we, ability. Yeah, what we learned is Snoke ability. is the one that is doing this. He's connected them on yeah, Facebook he, together. We just didn't know it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He's you know he's playing the matchmaker here. You know what so I mean? So Snoke is match dot com uh, or farmers yeah, yeah, only and and yeah. Uh, and for people that watch HGTV, so. people that watch HGTV, he's Chip and Joanna. He's <laughs> trying to help them, you know, find their house. I mean, he's connecting yeah. them. So, but but that's what I think. That's what we got to realize here is that it's just not normal Force users here. There's a third one here that's really amplifying this communication you know what i mean he's kind of like yeah. that you know he, he's the modem booster here you know what i mean he's increasing their signal strength yeah i want to so. get into him right now though and say the, the biggest disappointment i have with this is that i know nothing more about him than i already knew from the first movie and the trailers of this movie like he's so powerful and so instrumental in the things that are going on here and of all the things they spend time telling us about and all the things they, they waste time doing in this movie, we couldn't get two minutes to explain who the hell he is and where he talking comes about from. Snoke? I, I, yep, he's talking about Snoke. So I want to ask you guys this, though, because you guys were you know, fortunate enough to be able to do the original trilogies and stuff like that. Take the prequels out. Just like slide those away. We have the Emperor. What did you guys know about him at all besides the fact that he was the Emperor in the original trilogy? What do we know about him? Well, nothing. He was a very fan. He was a very fantasy evil sorcerer yes. kind of staple. That, uh, exactly. Exactly. Well put. And that's exactly what Snoke is, is the emperor in the original trilogy was what was going to draw Vader and Luke against each other. And then what was going to bring them together. Snoke is nothing more than that. And I really think what hurt this was the J.J. Abrams mystery box. That's something that's always thrown around there is that he puts all this mystery around stuff. Like, I'm going to show you a little bit, but I'm not going to tell you. It's going to be saved for later. And I think what happened, you saw, I mean, how many articles, Kurt, did you read about, like, who could Snoke be? Is this Anakin Skywalker? Is this Darth Plagueis? It's all these things that were built up around it. And in the end, it's like, no, this is just nothing more than the Emperor was in the original trilogy. Yes, we learn more about him because of the prequels and everything like that, but it's the same type of character he's a force but he's there to develop the main characters let me let me jump in and say this here though i know what you're talking about nick but i haven't read or watched a single one of those kind of fan theory things because i know that that's that's a fool's errand you're wasting your time because that that is not what abrams and disney want to do they, they'll let you do that all day so i didn't have any expectations i just wanted something just a little bit to explain what he was and yes the emperor is largely an enigma but kurt hit on it he was an archetype he was the evil grand wizard and the one thing you knew about him was that Vader was incredibly loyal to him until it finally came down to, you know, his son and, and life at that point and, and the, the appealing to the light of him. That's all we needed to know about the Emperor because I want to tell you something. When the Emperor goes after Luke in Return of the Jedi, I know exactly what his motivation is. I know what he's doing. I get all of it. I don't know what, all I know about Snoke was that he seems to be the most powerful force user we've ever seen, but he totally misreads his apprentice who cuts him in friggin' half, which was a great scene, well, but, but I'm like, great scene. but I'm like, 
again, I just feel like of, uh, we spend time riding around on space camels through the woods to free them to make some sort of statement with Benicio Del Toro and, and, and John Boyega, but we can't get two minutes to explain to me who the hell Snoke was, is something. But but let me ask you this, though, because who is these movies about? Who are the characters that this is about? It's about Kylo Ren or Ben Solo and Rey. He's right. not important as far as who he is. He is very much like you're saying, like with the Emperor, is that he's just a, he's just an archetype. That's what he is. We knew that in the original trilogy that Vader was seduced by the dark side, and we could put two and two together that he was seduced by the Emperor. And that's the same thing here, where we learned that Snoke had some type of you know a, a effect on Kylo, and that's what happened after is he joined him and everything like that. But I think one thing you may have missed in the viewings was when he – the, his talking down to Kylo, and I think that Kylo Ren is is not Vader. He's not just a, a dog on a leash. Is that he's kind of a he's a crazy guy, you know what I mean? And I think that he was buying his time as much as like Vader in the end was like me and Luke. We were take you know let's replace the Emperor and stuff like that. He wasn't so much about you know he wanted to replace him, but it was like he was he wasn't going to wait for his apprentice. He was waiting for his right time, and I think really what drawn him in was that when, again, it was like, oh, I trust you, and then he starts ripping on him again, and I think it was just like, enough is enough with this guy, and I'm going to take this opportunity right here to kill him. And that was what his purpose is in this trilogy, or in these first two movies, was to develop the main bad for the series. Well, well, uh, I'll say I I, I see that, but... (laughs) uh, this is kind of an overall thing with the entire movie was that force awakens. Uh, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of mystery. Like there were, oh, there were starting threads that I knew were, they were going to end up, you know, they were going to give you answers in following films. And they, they, all the threads that they set up, I figured would be revealed in the next movie in episode nine. And they give you the answers to all of them. And I was underwhelmed by every single one of them. I was expecting there to be like, you know, I think at this point we're all expecting there to be big twists and turns in Star Wars movies, and I was ex- I was waiting for like a big revelation. Like a, I had some in mind. Like I I, I thought Ray's parents. I thought Luke was going to be uh, um, Ray's uh, uh, father. That's that's one that they they slough aside. But about about uh, Snoke, especially in Force Awakens, they 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 created this character out of nowhere. I ha- I had so many questions about this guy, like that I didn't have about the Emperor. But I had about this guy. It's like, how do? How, why did he create the first order? Why does he care about Darth Vader? And why does he want to kill? Why is he after Luke Skywalker? So many questions. And Ryan Johnson just cuts the mic, and now we're 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 not going to get those answers. And if they suddenly start talking about Snoke in the next movie, that's going to be kind of you know weird because he's not he's not there anymore. But but I I didn't like. I thought it was it was genuinely shocking. It was one actually one of the, probably one of the best scenes in the movies where. They kill him out of nowhere. I did not see that coming, but I, I'm I'm guessing J.J. Abrams didn't see that coming. I I I would love to ask him: <laughs> Is that what you think was happening when you came up with that character? Yeah, but that's, that's well, a good point. Know, that's but, a good point. It is. It is a good point. And, and I, I'll Hello, just Jeff. I'll just say though, like that to me felt like like I didn't realize the first time I saw this, I was like, "There's a whole other act to go," because what happens after that, by the way, is the badass scene of the film. All right, when when Kylo Ren and Rey team up to take, we've all we've never seen Imperial Guards do shit except stand around and red stuff and look bad, right? To, when they finally get into that fight with them, that is an incredible 
lightsaber versus you know technology battle. I loved every second of that. Uh, I, I ate every bit of that up. I thought that was awesome as a team up. And then the right. dialogue at the end too, which we'll get to in a second. But when they killed him off like that, I was like, wait a minute. There's there's another thirty five minutes to go with this movie. You just whacked the supreme leader and i'm kind of like domino gleason i'm like we have no leader you know i'm like what happened but, but, but let me but that's, that's the thing though is i really think that like i said like i'm just going to go back to game of thrones it's like like i remember like when you know the three of us talked about that and like kurt was like saying like he always envisioned it was going to be ned stark you know and like Khal drogo and all this stuff and all selling at the end it's just like what the hell just happened? Everything that I was led up to believe has just been turned on its head. This is not what I thought. But that, and that's kind of what I'm getting from here was this like, thank you. There's no emperor and stuff like that. We saw the actual making of a Darth Vader guy here. We've never seen this before done right. And to me, it was just like, thank you for getting rid of this guy. And now we have the main villain who's not just this like mysterious, powerful guy. He's layered and we know what his, you know, we know what his entire motivation is. I think it was just, it was great. And that's, that, that's really why I like it. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think like Ryan Johnson, he definitely, you know, good or bad, he turned Star Wars on its head a little bit. I think it's going to be really awkward when J.J. Abrams comes back and goes right back to the old stuff. Good or bad, it's like I'm guessing it's going to be you know a, a fun movie because because it's Abrams, but it's going to be jarring that he's. I'm guessing none of the Ryan Johnson stuff is going to be in uh, uh, episode nine, and I think I, I definitely thought about that through a lot of this movie. Is it's like Ryan Johnson's going out of his way to make it hard for the next guy. Like <laughs> I, I wish I wish it was like either J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson making all three. So we could have a through line because I'm guessing it's we're going to have it's going to be Return of the Jedi again, where the third movie is way out of sync. It's so it's so completely different from the last movie, good or bad. It's just going to be like it's going to be different again. Uh, but, why do we it, need a th but why do we need a through line, Kurt? I mean, I, you're you're a big Batman fan and you look at Nolan's Batman. There's not really a through line there besides Batman himself. And we have that with Ray. Ray's the through line for this series. Every one of those movies is completely different in how it was you know even shot i mean they all feel very different and don't you think that like for a movie like this i mean that is not a big complaint we hear with marvel is like you guys are only really telling like half a story and you guys are just always kind of being like but wait till next time you know what i mean right. but here we get a complete story and i think isn't that kind of exciting that well we're not able I, to we don't even we don't know what the hell they're going to do for this episode nine and i think that's kind of that that's not Star Wars like where it's like we always had an idea, and I think that's even like with this one we had an idea of what it was going to be, and when it wasn't like that, it was shocking. And now for once, for Star Wars, for once, we don't know what the hell they're going to do. And I mean, just that's my question to both you guys. Don't you find that kind of intriguing for this? I I think what you're talking about that sensation of being you know genuinely surprised by Star Wars and it being such a different experience. That's how I felt with Rogue One of like it was that's why I love that movie so much was that there were moments where it harkened to original Star Wars, but it was such a wild change of pace from what Force Awakens was or the prequels or Return of the Jedi, whatever. It felt very much like they were trying to call back to, you know, the battle scenes in, in Empire Strikes Back and the battles like the war sent the war tone of that movie. And it's like, like, and people are saying that about The Last Jedi. It's like, finally, we have a different Star Wars movie. 
And I, I, I'm seeing this not across the board, but I'm definitely seeing people all of a sudden coming out against Rogue One after seeing Last Jedi. And I don't know. I don't really. I don't really care for that because, like, like I, I see Rogue One. It's like that's the one that, like, that, like uh, bad example, but like you know, how Seven really was so so not an ending anyone saw coming, and that's what Rogue One was like something I did not see coming that was surprising every step of the way, and it's like, and and it was genuinely entertaining and satisfying while being so different. Last Jedi is very different uh, and surprising, but in my opinion not satisfying. It's all about trying to jolt us. And I mean, I, I keep repeating that and I'm just going to say it again though. Ryan Johnson wanted to throw, wanted to pull the rug out from under all of us while we're in the middle of the dance. And, and it, whether you like it or not, he was supremely successful in doing that because what he's delivered is such a different take on an episodic Star Wars film. Take away like Rogue One for a second, like the, the numbered episodes. ones. It's such a different feel, even though it's repeated themes and you both are bringing those things up and Nick, you are in particular, and I don't think you're wrong, but he is turning it on its head every chance he gets. And But, but I, I will say this, you say there's a story here. The, the story is that the resistance has really bad plans that go worse. There, there are maybe 20 people left at the end of this. That's about as low down and as bad as we've ever seen this group. And they're all sitting around talking about the sparks relit. I'm like, how the hell do you know that? Oh, I forgot space Twitter. But I mean, really <laughs> like how, I mean, th this is pretty grim, man. I mean, like at some point the guy in the back with the funky fish face would be like, Hey Poe, I think, I think we may be kind of screwed, bro. You know, we don't have anything anymore. We're, we just got out of a salt mine, and we're on a, a ship now that has a bunch of birds um, on it. And I don't, what are we doing? Everybody left is on the Millennium Falcon at the end. It's like the one ship that survived everything because you can't destroy the Millennium Falcon. I, I'm surprised they did. Honestly, at one point, I thought Ron Johnson's going to crash the Millennium Falcon. And Chewie's going to die, too, because why the hell not? You know, we got to get rid of everybody else. And that'll probably be the opening of the next one, and that's how they'll kill Leia, now that I've said that. But, um, but I mean, really, though, the, all of that's going on the whole time. The, the thing is, the though. going to eat her. Yeah, the porgs are going to eat her. But well, no, Chewie will have to because he can't eat the porks because um, they they cry. They look delicious, by the way. Those look like <laughs> that really man. That looked like a Cornish hen. I was I was <laughs> down. Uh, but but it, getting back into the movie, th we haven't talked much about Poe here, Poe Dameron, and I like Oscar Isaac. I think he's really fun, and I like that they play up you know the Maverick Top Gun, you know flyboy seat of his pants thing. You know they do this whole thing with him where you can't just get in the next wing and blow stuff up. And, and the first time I saw this movie, I was like, yeah, you know, does he even get anywhere? And I'm like, no, he actually learned something. Because when they're doing that last skit at the end, he's the one that's like, this is a bad idea, guys. Call it off. And I'm like, finally, somebody learned something in this movie. You know, he's the one that realizes we got to bug out and fight another day because it's not going to go anywhere. I thought, and as weird a presence as Laura Dern can be, I thought her and him had some some good back and forths in their little scenes together. Uh, I love I, the, I love the twist with her though, but you go ahead, Kurt. I was I was gonna say I got I gotta disagree, but I first of all I love Oscar Isaac. As I said in Force Awakens, he is my favorite of the all the new characters they created. He's my favorite, and I was thinking, you know, with the Last Jedi, I really hope he has a lot more screen time, and he does, and he was he he he's excellent in the movie. I very much thought it's like if Harrison Ford if like if Harrison Ford was in this movie, he would have Poe Dameron's role. It was very much a the Han Solo stand-in. 
But I got to say, Laura Dern is a great actress, but I absolutely hated her character when she steps in for Leia because Leia demotes uh, Poe after the poorly planned offensive. And when he says to uh, – like you know, Poe comes in with this genuinely good ideas of what we should do and she says – wasn't Le- like she doesn't listen and just says, "Wasn't Leia's last order to uh, demote you?" And uh, and she says, "I've I've seen so many hot shots like you." And I was grown. I was holding my head in my hands, going, "Is this what is this a bad cop movie?" The thing because you're gonna ask him for uh, you know say one more word of you and you're suspended without pay. It was like I thought that Give me was your gun like, in your badge. I, yeah, gun in your badge, like you know, like the Frank McRae character in Last Action Hero. And I thought that felt really out of place to have like. A, a character so like it reminded me of Mace Windu, where it's like this guy can this guy just listen like refuse refuses to listen, and it's just and to me it was like I kept waiting for uh, Poe to just bail, or I loved it when he tried to take over the ship, uh, but then he got he got foiled by that. But again, I said well, I mean, go ahead. No, but but that's the thing though. I mean, like you know, Jay, we talk about work all the time. Isn't this like work though? The bureaucratic state, like, you know what I mean, with like a career where it's like, oh, my God, we got someone who's new in charge. And it's like, I'm really good at my job. But it's like they sit there and it's like they don't take you seriously. Like, yeah, you're lower than me and everything like that. I really like that element, especially when the twist came at the end, because we're so used to that where it's like, yeah, he's the hot shot. He's the Indiana Jones. He's the Han Solo. He knows what's best. And in the end, it's like, wait a minute. No, he doesn't. And that's the reason why. Here's She's the thing. Her. Here's the thing. They they give her a moment to re- they gave her two moments to redeem herself. One of which they shouldn't have done. But the, when she finally, you know, Leia wakes back up and stuns him, and then she puts her hands on his face and she's like, "I like him. He's a troublemaker." You know, like they have that moment or whatever. When she decides to stay behind, and what we find out is she's gonna she turns the cruiser back around, hits warp speed, and blows it right through that you know awesome, big awesome. thing, which is a that great is cool. scene. But that should not have been her. That should have been the handoff from Carrie Fisher to her to say, you go with him. I'm doing this. That was a mistake. I'm calling it out right now. They should have let that redemption be complete. And then him and her have a different relationship because yeah, they don't get along the new boss and all that, but then they like prove something to each other and they wind up on the same side. That should have been the handoff right there. They, they should have let her go on and then let, again, we, we, the only reason I think they let Carrie Fisher around is so we can have that end scene where not Luke, projection and her have a conversation which and they could have and, and they could have done that on the ship or something like that but then they would blow the whole astral projector thing exactly the, the right because you would have known yeah. right so they don't do so, but, but then i would say i didn't need the scene that we get with luke and leia later on so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute but do you do you guys agree with me kurt i'll, I'll go to you first that laura dern should have continued on to episode nine leia should have gone down with the the ship that should have been her last move her last screw you to the your first order Oh yeah, like a, a lot of thoughts on that. Like one is that as much as I didn't like the character and the interaction with Poe, she did redeem herself in a way where I thought, okay, like I, I forgave the characters. Like okay, that's that is a good character with with the way she goes. But like I said, I was talking about like when when Leia is shot out into space, I thought, okay, this is the way they're going to very gracefully, you know, with a certain amount of tact, remove Leia from the story, and they didn't. And then when this happened, I thought, oh, Leia's obviously going to be the, you know. Like the Iron Giant, you know, or like Superman, she's gonna, she's gonna, like, no, I'm gonna sacrifice myself to be the ultimate leader. I thought that that would be a great moment for Leia, and it didn't happen again. I was like, that is because again, also Laura Dern, she would have been a good stand-in uh, for Leia, and just and just on a side note, that scene can't I can't overstate it. That is one of, that 
I'd really have to think about it. That's got to be in the top two or three best visual effects moments in the entire Star Wars series. Oh, agree. When the, the when they cut out the sound because that was the one that was actually the one Ryan Johnson like a weird thing of like the kind of like the freeze frame that kind of slow mo where you know light speed dead silence and we just cut to this is what is being done to the ship in this one instant. I thought like literally the the you know the audience when dead silent and there were like three or four people that literally said, wow, out loud. And like, I, I was almost one of them because that was, that was breathtaking. Reminded me of some of the great effects in interstellar where it was just like, that was unbelievable. I, I like, and I also, my afternoon theaters, I'll tell you, both of them clapped audibly at that moment Yeah, because it was such, yeah, it was, it was it such was, a cut. Yeah. It was that one in the Snoke scene that got the biggest reaction. But again, though, I think you guys are viewing this from, we know what's going on outside of the movie that Carrie Fisher unfortunately passed away. Now, I think that what they did is they had a through line for Carrie Fisher's character, that Princess Leia was going to have a big part of episode nine, and that's what they said. And when her untimely passing did come, I think that it was just too far along in the process where they're like, well, we're going to go back and change it. Yeah, they probably could have, but I think to respect the work that she did at the time, they weren't going to go back there and reshoot her stuff and eliminate her because of her death. I think it was done out of respect that they wanted her to be able to have that scene with Luke and then to be able to show not only Luke passing at the end of this movie, but to have Carrie Fisher and have all of them die within this movie, I think in a way would have possibly been too much because that's always something well, that we always hear complain about is that, well, Han Solo never got to meet Luke again and stuff like that. And I'm thinking I'm always like, why do you need more of that? You have the original three movies. You can go back and relive those. What more do those two have to say? You know what I mean? It's always like, well, you want them to sit there and talk about Ben Solo and I failed you and stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, people just seem to like always want to just, that's not what I want. They're always judging it based upon what they wanted as opposed to what the movie gave us. But, but I'm, like I'm saying though, even thematically though, like it would have made total sense, not just because Carrie Fisher died in real life. I'm actually saying as a storyline, it would have made complete sense. Cause she even has a line, like too many goodbyes for me. Like that, it would have made total sense for, I've now passed on my hotshot guy that needs a little reining in to the one person I know can rein him in. Go take care of this. Lead the resistance. I'm going to go take out that ship. Like That would have made character sense. I, I know. It would have been jarring to kill two main characters in the movie. We killed Han last movie. we got to get rid of him anyway. We know that's what this is. This trilogy is the handoff to the new cast. So why not do it? I'm not saying because Carrie Fisher died, you needed to do it. I'm saying as a character, that was that would have been a better role for Leia to have done and let Holdo you know, go on forward. But to me, though, that that plan though was not Carrie was not Princess Leia. Princess Leia was in a coma. She was out. That was her plan, and she th saw it through. Her mission was to get those people off that ship. And for her to get them off, get them safe, she had to do that. Her mission, that was her entire purpose, was I'm going to lead. Yeah, all you hot shots are not going to like what I'm going to do, but I, my goal is to get you guys out of here alive. And that was her last thing was that she was fulfilling her mission. That wasn't Princess Leia's mission. Princess Leia was out and about, was was done, was not there. That was her mission. She was she stepped in, she took command, and she went down with the ship. And that's why I think it fit better for her is because she's your captain. She went down with the ship and she was the one that made sure that those people got to that planet safe, safely as they could. So, 
Well, and also, when I keep saying I kept thinking that she was going to die, it, it wasn't like thematically I thought they're going to kill Leia. I, I, I'm talking literally from a practical filmmaking standpoint. I was thinking, how much did they actually – I was thinking – I was that kind of taken out of the movie because I kept thinking, when an actor dies in a movie while they're making it, I, I can't help but think – which you know how much of this is like reshot? Does he use a do they use a stand-in? And from from the looks of the movie, it looks like she shot every scene she needed to shoot, and she survived the make, the making of the movie. Um, and 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 uh, but I, I do think if they were going to let Leia die like that, it would have been you know as far as like the main characters, it would have been maybe the most badass death scene in the entire series. That's the thing uh, I'm and, getting at. Is like that is the kind of ballsy thing Leia Organa would have done. It, it would have been by far. It would have been across the entire series. It would have been the number one Princess Leia moment in the entire series. And also, you also, got, to re- you also got to remember though, her son is still out there, and I think in a way she still has hope. And I think and that, no, she know, says she, that she doesn't. <laughs> well, she later, but 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 she later does get on the planet and stuff like that. And I think it was something where Luke, that was kind of her finally admitting it to Luke. But I think at the time though, it, I don't think it was. You know what I mean? She's got all this going on and everything. I think even the audience would say there too, you know, let's 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 pretend like Carrie Fisher is still with us. Where I think they'd be like, Oh, if she did that, where it'd be like, Well, come on, you know, she doesn't care about her son, you know, care about what's gonna, you know, her son's doing out there. She needs to, you know, try to take him out, you know, try to lead people to take him out. That's her responsibility. You know what I mean? There would have been arguments like that, I believe. And also on, on on a side note, just like that, you know, that visual effects scene and the use the use of hyperspace as a weapon is such a genius suit, you know, kamikaze thing. Uh, and it, you know, it, again, it's it's like probably the best moment in the whole movie. But again, bring me coming back to this idea of this plot of the slowest chase ever. And they don't tell you at the start; they tell you right before that scene. By the way, we have escape pods for every man, woman, and child on the ship. I could not help but think. Why did no one come up with this immediately? You could have like you could have taken out their ship in the very first scene when you realized, well, we can't jump, so maybe we should do this. I like because again, the, this, like the the perfect ending to this extremely slow chase could have been thought of way before that. But I think the whole point of that was though was that you know when they were they're going hyperspace. And everything. I think for the way I was taking it was they were getting hyperspace and they get out, and then also they would show back up, and then they'd get in hyperspace, and they're trying to lose them, kind of like a almost like a rope a dope method where it's like we're going to draw them in and try to get out of here. And I think that they were just trying to hold on until the last moment. And I think it was something where, you know, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You, you know like, what? Why since try, fuel, why, why since fuel was an infinite is now a finite resource, they could have done the Top Gun thing, let them get close and let them fly right by. <laughs> you know, and gone backward. I mean, uh, we had, I called that out, and I want to ask you to, like, are you okay with that is now a thing, that fuel is not infinite? Because it has been for every other movie in the series. I thought that was a really weird thing to suddenly introduce, is the idea of running out of gas in a Star Wars movie, because they didn't mention it. I just assumed it's some kind of nuclear power, it's solar power, it's some infinite supply so when you introduce the idea of running out of gas, to me that was like a that was a lame thing to introduce into a into a Star Wars movie. Like that's like bringing it down like too like too uh, I don't know I don't know how to describe it. That's too way too basic a thing to introduce the idea of we're out of gas. Yeah. 
I suppose, though, but we've seen stuff like this before, though, in the movies where, like, the hyperdrive's down or we can't do this or we can't do this. And it's always, like, the fight against the technology to stay ahead and just, you know, kind of like the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dam. You know what I mean? We're just trying to do every little thing we well, can. Well, we literally to get that in this one with BB-8 in that friggin' X-Wing, by the way. Yeah, so, which yeah. BB-8's cute. So, But anyways, <laughs> um, but I think that's really what it is, is that they're trying to – just try to you know bring in something a little bit different than just being like oh my god they they blew up the hyperdrive and you know we only can use this like three more times before it blows or something i mean they get they could have done it 101 different ways as far as that goes but to me I, that was never an issue hey, i always took it but that, way. that little rewrite you just did it. by the way makes so much more sense and fits so much more <laughs> in the way they do i would well, have totally I've been bought arguing that. about this for a while that i need to be doing like script doctor work in hollywood because <laughs> really i think pretty should. much all my ideas are oscar <laughs> worthy <laughs> i don't know about that but but yeah you do have good rewrites on this show from time to time so we, we i want to go back to something that i threw out there because i heard audible reactions to it when i said it i thought the kylo ren ray team up in snoke's throne room after he gets cut in half and the, they go after the imperial guards was friggin awesome kurt you seem to have a different uh, thing on that i i thought it was it was a i thought it was a little uh hokey to have it felt like something more at, along the lines of Power Rangers, and it's like I, I couldn't put my finger on it until like this morning. I thought, "What is it about this scene? I'm not digging." And it's like I, I, it hit me. It's like it reminded me of the scene in season five of Game of Thrones where Bronn and Jamie fight the Sand Snakes, Oberyn Martell's uh, yeah. daughters, which is one of the lamest scenes in the series. And the internet. This is an internet comment I saw, you know, on, on YouTube that said they all eat. They each have. A different weapon what is this teenage mutant ninja turtles like it, it was it was silly in a series that was you know very grounded Kurt, and Kurt, I, you do know that those were the knights of the ren right and that we had that established that they all had different weapons in the last movie right i, I do but honestly if those were lightsabers if those like just make them lightsabers i would have i would have i would have liked it more because it it, it it was a little hokey i also this is on a side note. I don't like the costume des- design on the stormtroopers and the Knights of Ren. Their their outfits are way too shiny, and I don't know if they are cheap, but they they look like cheaper than just like the the kind of like the uh, more opaque look of the stormtroopers. But with any but with any military thing though, as like you ever seen like you know military you know ceremonies or stuff stuff like that. I'm not saying their uniforms look cheap. I'm just saying that what they wear is not battle fatigue and that these guys were you know yes they're carrying weapons but these guys aren't in battle they're just decorations for this guy yes, kind of like the person. buckingham palace guards is what you're saying exactly exa- exactly then that's what they are is like yeah these guys are soldiers they're trained and everything like that but really what it is is it's an intimidation level with these guys you're gonna See, come I- in there and you got the whole red room and you got guys that are spiked and red and everything like that doesn't mean that they're battle ready and stuff like that it's an intimidation factor when you come into that area i want to tell you why i liked it so much again though and it's not so much that the action was so grand because it's nothing i haven't seen before you're right kurt it, it looks like something out of a power rangers out of out of you know 50 11 other things i've seen it is our performers it's adam driver it's daisy ridley the yeah. way they tag team together is really good, and you—I mean, you got to—you got to understand. I'm a Buffy fan, right, and an Angel fan, and there's lots of times in those shows where they they get two people together who have to, you know, do the enemy, my enemy is my friend thing, and tag team and and fight a lot, and it's always awesome, and it's it's awesome because the characters and the the performers are working off of all the chemistry they've got together, the yin and yang of it, and I. 
It's like the it's like it's yeah. like Stone Cold teaming up with the Undertaker. There you go. Like Thank that. you. Like, yes, yes, it's great. It it, it is that. It's it's that. Or or to you know hurt your soul, Nick. It's uh, Sanaa Latham and the Predator taking on the aliens. You know, I mean that's that's what it is. I, that I is get low. that. <laughs> Mm. But I but it's the same construct. The, but again, and that's a bad version of it. This the performers carried on, and I, I gotta say that scene at the. I mean, when we get the Ray's parents revealed or something, I actually am going to credit Ryan Johnson for doing the not obvious, for saying they were nobodies, and you know it. And and he, you know Kylo Ren is telling her you're nothing, you don't matter in any of this, but you matter to me. And the way he says it, it's like I don't think he's lying. I think he's being honest. I think he's earnest. I really, really loved that at the end. I thought it was a great. And then when they have the force pull off to break the lightsaber, that was friggin' awesome. The the idea of Ray's parents, you know, being nobody, and she is just you know a, a random civilian, totally random person, kind of like what Han Solo was, just another person. Uh, I would have been fine with that if they just said that in the first movie and said she really is nobody. Her, But it felt like they were building up that her parents were going to be a big deal. And to have the payoff be, no, they weren't a big deal. And we should have just not. Like, can they I tell just you? Not I, th- I think J.J. probably thought they should be. And I think Brian Johnson said, you know, I can really do what I want. All right. F that. Oh, yeah. I, I exactly. Really think exactly. Did. Yeah. Exactly but, who's to say, but who's to say, though, that that is true? You know what I mean? It could be Kylo Ren. I mean, guys, we got to remember, Ryan Johnson is the guy that gave us Ozymandias on Breaking Bad. Talk about deconstructing <laughs> things. I mean, that's, yeah, for sure. but, that is his M.O. But but here's the thing, though, is like I think that was something that J.J. Abrams probably should have done. I think if it would have been better if it would have just shown like she was sold off for essentially what it sounded like drug money. You know what yeah. I mean? For her parents. And I think that would have been better. But really i mean that was always one of the things like people were complaining about the force awakens like oh wait we're gonna find out she's luke skywalker's daughter oh wait wait till he finds out it's han solo and leia's other daughter and han solo didn't say anything or even like oh what what if she's obi-wan obi-wan kenobi's daughter or if she's a force child like anakin was or you know it's it's people had all these theories and everything when it came to it and you know what maybe one of those will actually turn out to be true maybe kylo ren was doing this to be able to bring her down just to bring her up. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're nobody, but you're someone to me. Come join me. You know what I mean? Kind of a way to be like, you know what I mean? You're, you oh, yeah, you but- bring someone down to prop them back up in a way. So maybe it does turn out to be something different. But I, I think that really J.J. Abrams really put Ryan Johnson or whoever would have directed this in a no-win situation because I don't think it would have been satisfying no matter what they did. Well, well eh. Well, like, like I said, like we get a buildup and a payoff that's kind of a, a little – I thought it was a little bit of a hollow thud of a payoff where I think she would have been a better character if in the first movie she's like, yeah, I'm a person who was totally just abandoned by my parents and I've, I've, haven't, I've had to toughen myself up. But by having you know that, those scenes in, in Force Awakens where she's got you – know, making a notch on the wall. She's got like you know, thousands of notches for every time uh, – every day that passes where she is, you know, a, has been abandoned by her parents. Again, it feels like they've been building up to something. And again, like I'm talking about, you know, Lawrence Kasdan and and J.J. Uh, Abrams while watching this movie going, oh, I can't believe he did that. And J.J. Abrams, because he's making the next movie, I, I feel like they're going to make a reveal out of Ray's parents almost as like like a revenge for, for Ryan Johnson like to clean up. OK, 
they kind of screwed. Like, that's not what we wanted to do with Ray's parents. Like, or who knows? Maybe Abrams is totally in on this, and it, it, half of it was his idea. Yeah, I mean, we, we do talk about like he's he's still executive producing this. He was still involved. He was completely aware. He was one of the people along with Kathleen Kennedy saying, "Go for it." I mean, I, look, J.J. Abrams has no problem though? turning things on its head. Go look at those Star Trek movies. I mean, he completely flipped though? that series. When you watch The Force Awakens, though, I mean, we do get little flashbacks of her as a child, and you see the yeah, ship no, flying I, away. I, t- I told you, I, 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 loved, I liked it. I thought it was a great reveal because, again, I didn't think it even mattered. And because they, they've gone out of their way, Luke has this whole thing with her, and, and you called it out, where it was – about you know look, the Jedi were so arrogant they thought they were the only ones that could touch the Force that's garbage that's bullcrap everybody can do this if you want to and even when Yoda burns down the Tree of Life or whatever the hell they're the, you know in the middle of it with it he's like yeah, this should have ended a long time ago did you ever read those Page Turners they were not I mean that's just a great line you know and I love the that they got yeah. the actual puppet again too but the 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 point is is that you got to. Like I like that they completely say no, she wasn't nobody. But the point was, so Kylo Ren could say, "But you're not a nobody to me, damn it! Come over here and get." And I'm not even talking about being on the dark side, the light side. We're just going to be on the side. That's what he's saying, and that's what I find so interesting about him and what they've done yeah, with him is that he's like, "I'm just going to rule it all. Screw light, dark, left, right. Who cares?" Yeah, he's kind of like the Prince Charming to her, like her Cinderella, where it's like, you know, you came from nothing, but I'm going to take you. You know what I mean? I'm going to take you out of this. But no, I, I do like that she came from nothing. I mean, thank you for not making this universe smaller like Lucas did in all those prequels, where it was just like everybody's related, everybody lives on the same block, even though we're in the vastness of space. It's, you know, like I said, it's like if it would have been something where it was Luke Skywalker's, well, why did he abandon her? Or Han Solo, why didn't he recognize her? It's like, why needlessly shrink down the universe? But that's what it is. I think it's just, it's it's today. You know what I mean? She's not from royalty. She's a nobody. I'm, I'm hearing and what I you're saying, Kurt, by the way, too. I'm not because you have but I'm hearing what you're saying, Kurt. I get it. it. It is another jar in this because we were set up to think it was going to be so much more. But again, the, the theme of this movie is that eh, those expectations will just fool you every time. And, and, and I, I will say yeah. I, I was re- I was actually relieved that she wasn't, uh, you know, Luke's daughter. Because that would that would mean you have to introduce Luke's you know Luke's wife. I'm, I was relieved that she wasn't Han Solo's daughter, uh, but I did think like I'm relieved that like it's actually a very nice piece of character detail that she is just someone who her, her parents are just kind of you know monsters that literally just abandon her, and that makes her that absolutely makes her a better character. It might make Force Awakens a little bit better next time I watch it, but I'm just saying like like they were building up to a reveal and the reveal. While the information made the character better, I thought it was it was a little bit of like, really, that's it? Because that you know that that's something that could have been settled in the first movie, you know, without a reveal. Just like say, I was abandoned. I want to tell you who yeah, I got a kick out of in this though is is General Hux because once he comes into the throne room and sees the carnage left behind and Kylo Ren's knocked out on the floor, his first instinct is, well, I'm putting one in his head and moving on. <laughs> like, yeah. What a, what a pure military guy's like. Well, let me go ahead and finish this. You can tell like that's that's coming to something. I I I, I mean, he ended up being the butt of a lot of jokes in the movie but he also got some good lines in you know when he when they pound the the ammunition at you know Luke's projection later it's like do you think you got him you know i mean <laughs> i i like the fact that his first instinct was well i'm going to shoot this guy you know because that's what 
he should do at that point. Everything's gone to hell. Well, I, I got to kill this dude so we can get out of here. Um, I, I did get a kick out of that and, and, I th- I thought he had a good moment, but what did y'all make of that? The way that you know he he gets put to his knees pretty quick too by Kylo Ren. He's like, excuse me, the Supreme Leader's dead. I I thought well, it was I that was one thing I liked about from from the stories the way they handled Hux and Domhnall Gleeson because like I said about Force Awakens, he was if I had to pick one thing that like the one thing I thought sucked, it was Hux. I thought it was I I think Domhnall Gleeson is actually an excellent actor. Watch About Time or The Revenant. He's a terrific actor. But I thought he was terrible in The Force Awakens. It was so over the top and campy. Uh, so I, I like that they, they they went forward with that and just made him a joke in this movie. I thought that was refreshing. And I thought it, it, it was genuinely satisfying to, to see Kylo Ren just assert control. Because it reminded me of, you know, like the relationship between – uh, Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin in the first movie, there was a part of me that's like, really? Darth Vader's taking orders from this guy? So it was satisfying an empire to see, no, Vader's in charge. Simil- it was a similar thing of like the satisfaction of Kylo Ren is going to just take charge and be the scary guy, not, not have to take orders. That, that's, that was refreshing. Yeah, I liked it too. I, I, I agree with Kurt. I think it's, uh, he is over the top. He is a Nazi from you know, an Indiana yes. Jones movie. Yes. You know what I mean? But I, I think it's great. I mean, we've seen the Tarkin types. We've seen these calculated, you know, Shakespearean British actors come in there and do that. And I, I kind of like it that he's just like this over the top crazy guy. And then for, yeah, exactly how Kurt put it, where it's like, finally, there's no emperor there. And Vader's done taking Tarkin's crap. And it's like, listen, man. I'm the new emperor, and I love too that after this, what do they call Kylo? Supreme leader. Well, it's the, like the I when, thing, he, when, when he force choked him, that was like yeah. the only thing that was missing. They should have played the Empire theme there because that was that I forgot about that until just now. Yeah. That's one of my favorite moments when he like because he he goes full Vader like now he's in charge. He's going for the dark side, and that was that was a nice bit when he forced Joe. Yeah, because they do oh, a lot yeah, of musical cubacks in this. That is one that was missed. I'm glad you called that out because I thought it too, Kurt. I, they should have done that at that moment. He gets a great – you know, when, the thing about Domhnall Gleeson, you're right. He plays everything to 11 in these two movies. But he gets some scenes when they're on the mineral planet where he dials it back, and he's almost Ewan McGregor. Like in a couple of scenes, like that. Did you think you got him? You know, and yeah. all that stuff. Like I'm like, or when he's employing with him, like Supreme Leader, don't don't go down there and fool with that right now. We're at the verge of winning this. You know, let's yeah. let's end it. I'm like, he, I got a little Ewan McGregor off of him there, and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. I will yeah, like, say this like, though, I got, me being in the business world and everything like that, I'm not going to say whether it's this current job or my last job for obvious reasons, but I've had some. I'm not going to say managers or people above me or something like that who have this, I'm going to be out there and going to give this speech and do this stuff. And it is kind of eye rolling being like, my God, you're just trying to be intimidating right now. And it's mm. kind of a joke, but that's what I'll say. I, I, I was just going to say that Domino Gleason gives a better performance in this. And that comes back to my thing. Cause some of the acting in force awakens was some of it was questionable. Like the, the Lupita Nyong'o character I thought was a little hammy. But the, like I said, the, that is one, one thing that I think improves upon with this movie is the acting overall is just better because Ryan Johnson, it's weird. He takes the movie into weird places with the, with some of the effects in the story, but the performances are a lot uh, more grounded and real. 
Well, can we talk about Kelly Marie Tran for a minute? Because it's a good time to introduce Rose into this because her and Finn crash back into the mineral mine at this point. They're kind of the last thing coming through the door before the, the big showdown here at the end. What did y'all make of Rose as, the, as a character and as a foil to Finn? I know we've talked about that was supposed to be Han and Leia stuff, but I didn't really get that between the two of them. I, I think the the actress is fine. She did a nice job with the performance, but I thought the character is was not good. That that is a character they created a character to give Finn someone to talk to. Did not come off as like this is a new you know Star Wars character. It just came off as like well we can't have Finn just talk to BB-8, and so that so we need to give her give give him give a uh, Finn someone to talk to. And it didn't come off as like a really great romantic part like you know the the you know the interplay between you know Han and Leia I didn't get that at all it just came off as like like a weird a weird way to you know introduce this new character who knows where they're going to take her but like again like we said like the bit at the end where she you know but right before she it looks like she dies but then she, they say no she's still alive it, they didn't earn that moment the character was not good enough to earn uh you know a, a death like that yeah, that to me that's that it's it's the weakest part of the movie was everything with the casino planet and really Finn and uh, Rose's uh, plot. I I think that was kind of they had what exactly they wanted to do with Ray. They had exactly what they wanted to do with Ben Solo. They had exactly what they wanted to do with like Princess Leia and Poe and everything like that. And I think Finn was kind of well, what do we do with this? And I think they really kind of wrote this plot and everything like with her and him kind of around it. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. I just think it's obviously I think it's the weakest part of the movie. And I, I will say this. They, they they fooled me again. I mean, let me know if you guys were fooled as well. But when Finn is going kamikaze, so what happens here is they're all held hostage or they're all held up on this base, a lot like Hoth. And the um, the First Order is sending it down. It's, uh, you know, at at walkers and they have this big battering, battering ram is what they're calling it. And it's going to blow a hole to open up to allow the first order to go in there and kill the rest of the resistance. And as it's charging up, Finn is driving full blast at it. And you think he's going to pull a, I guess for lack of any other comparison, a Randy Quaid in independence day where he's going to crash right into it to kill it. And I was fooled. I mean, they had, they, they had the beats going, they had the music swelling, they had, you know, everything. And then all of a sudden she crashes and hits them out of there. So were you guys fooled with that as well? Completely. I think it, uh, yeah, I was totally this, fooled. If this was episode nine, I would have I would have been thinking, oh, Finn, uh, Finn's about to die, because I thought it was a really nice moment, a great bit for Finn that he's willing to do that. But uh, because I definitely got the sense like this isn't Rogue One, they're not going to do that, they're not going to kill off these characters. And I was also feeling that sensation of as good as a moment as it would be. I was like, they better not kill off like the. Like of the three, like there's only a couple characters left and like they better not kill off uh, John Boyega because he's one of the best things in, in these two movies. Uh, so I, I, I was – but it was a 50-50. I was thinking this is actually – it was a 50-50 thing. I, he's, he might die, but Can I, I tell I was you why sure I would. thought they would do it? It's because he's supposed to be – I know we say Damron's supposed to be Han Solo, but – I, there's a little mix of it. Finn has also got a little Han in him too, and I kind of feel like – he had had his, I mean, he got, it was a short one, but he got his revenge on his ultimate nemesis, Phasma. He killed her, yeah. um, which, you know, I wish that fight scene had been a little longer, but so, sorry, Gwendolyn. But but anyway, we, we get that. I thought he he's like Han Solo, or like Harrison Ford always talked about Han Solo at the end of Empire Strikes Back. He ain't got no mama, he ain't got no papa, he ain't nobody. He should go down doing something heroic. 
And I'm like, you know what? I, I would have liked it. I mean, again, if a movie's going to be a game changer, and this one purports to be that, that would have been a real game changer to blow away one of our new three main characters here, which we really have four. But, I mean, to take him out would have been bold. Now, they didn't do it. And I'm going to tell you, though, I hate the clunky line that Rose has to lay at him. He said, we're not going to win by killing what we hate. We're going to win saving what we love. Smooch, let me pass out. I was like, oh, that, that was, was that was that a friggin' Hallmark card line. That was awful. There is a war going on. They're literally shooting at us. I think we, yeah, you know, you're guns might be in order. Things. Yes, your yeah. vice admiral just killed about a million people. All right? You are going to kill people you hate. That is That is so... Again, so a hallmark. I just like that. That didn't fit the tone at all. I hated it. I mean, I, I'm glad he's alive because I like John Boyega and I like the Finn character. But I hated that she couldn't have just said like, "No, we got to live to fight another day. We need you." Like that would have been cheesy, but at least it would have been better than what she said to him. I also think it's odd that nobody does the sacrifice when 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 she knocked him out of the way. I thought they're doing a bait and switch. She's going to drive into the thing and sacrifice yeah, herself. That would have made then sense. Nobody does. it. Yeah. If she would have done it, that would have been again, a full arc of that character oh because God. who the hell is the she? Thing, the thing pieces though, that would have happened with that guys. Come on. That would have been a disaster. <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't care if I'm PC or not having the only Asian character do a kamikaze thing into there. Oh, there would be so many. That. No, I, I, yeah, but I'm not trying to be funny. The, 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 I the, thought the, about the it freaking, like that. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God. I can just see all the freaking movie websites writing think pieces of just no, no, you couldn't have done that. In the, okay, you know what? But, I did not think of it like that, but you're, you're right. That's probably why it didn't <laughs> happen. But I, again, I didn't need. I didn't. People, I, if she had think, just done the act and he survives and we don't get the cheese line, I would have probably just passed it off and be like, okay, well, good. Finn lived. You know, that's, that's fine. But I, but I think the reason they included that line was you really look at like Kylo Ren and Ben Solo and what is his motivation? It's just hate. He hates it all. And I think that's kind of what it is where it's like she's I like. I, I disagree with that, Nick. I don't think he does. Cause I mean, Ray calls out like, why did you hate your father so much? And he's like, I didn't hate him. He was like, I just am not going to stand for the way things were. I think Kylo Ren is a complete revolutionary. I think his idea is, I am not going to be what my parents and he all the previous the ones be. Quo. Yeah, he hates he the hates establishment. The yeah. That he hates, he, he, yes, and, 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 I, and I think me and you have had conversations like that oh, yeah. politics where it's just like my god just tear it all up my god it's both sides are just poison and it's just like it's terrible and that's what it is and i think that's kind of what kylo ren's character does basically represent is kind of that new age political thing where it's like yeah you got your side over here and your side over here and they're always fighting and guess what they're both wrong they're both morons they both need to go away and i again that was i guess another part of the movie though i really really liked i'm like Thank you for doing something, having a character here that's just different. I want to talk about a visual thing that I haven't called out much about the visuals in this movie, but I really liked the fact that like the salt turned red when you walked on it, even though that gives away a big tell later and stuff. But the speeder things, the skitters going along with those red, all that red dust flying behind them, I, I did think that looked really cool. That was cool. Oh, looked, sure. looked amazing. And that was such a great way for them to bring in basically the elements of, you know, let's say heart hard r-rated like saving private ryan war movies without it being blood because at the end with all the red everywhere that's what they were getting at was like you know what i mean this is like the spoils of war where it's just like just a death and destruction without basically causing the movie to be rated r 
Well, well, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, you said it. It was. I thought just, just on a you know level, the the idea of you know underneath all this white is uh, is red. It was just it was was just a good visual. Although I kept thinking, like I I kept thinking the battle was going to be a lot longer and like going all over the place. And I thought, God, that's got to be a pain in the ass to keep up the continuity of the uh, the dust that's being uh, yeah. blown up. Probably why it wasn't longer. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. the animation of that is is fascinating and I, I again, I thought that looked really good. It was it was neat. There was a lot of tension and we do get Poe has a full circle where he realizes no, you know what? Another another, you know, balls out to the wall mission that no, we we can't keep taking losses like this. We got to turn back. Too many figured that out when there's like 12 people left but whatever i mean yeah. he finally learned so i guess it, it takes you know things to get to that but we get luke showing up and we've talked enough about him and leia's scene or whatever I, i'm gonna tell y'all I, I and i i hate to sound pompous in this at no time did i think that was really him and i want to tell you there's three things that said it to me all right <laughs> Because we'd already set aside that you can force project yourself into places with the Ren and Kylo conversations, the force texting and, and FaceTiming or whatever we want to call that, force FaceTime. And he looked different. I mean, he looked like what Kylo Ren would have last saw him as, and we had seen enough of Luke to know he didn't stop at the great clips on his way over to get, you know, to get ready for this, all right? So it, that and when Kylo Ren slides his foot on that salt and the red happens and in the first turn Luke turns around and moves his foot and it's wide underneath him I'm like I, I think it would have been cooler if Kylo Ren would have been like hold on a minute and figured it out then because I knew yeah. then I was like he ain't there uh I thought I did when he showed actually when he showed up and he took his hood off and he had brown hair what I was thinking was this is the shittiest continuity error in the history of film. <laughs> like they they must have filmed this first, or this is the worst reshooting. Uh, but I I think it was I, I can't remember. I think it was when they started firing at him. Uh, this this whole set piece is like next to the you know the hyperspace jump. This is probably the next you know the best thing in the movie. This is where my where my heart did start to get racing. Thinking this is going to be badass. That, that, like that's that's why my heart got racing because I thought. Luke is here and he is going to use the force in a way we've never seen. I thought he was going to literally just, you know, push his hand out and every single walker was going to just fall over. Uh, I was really thinking some really insane stuff was going to happen. And I thought it was gorgeous when they fire on him and he steps aside uh, and he's totally uh, uh, unharmed. And that was a gorgeous bit where he just kind of like, like kind of like just brushes his shoulder off as though like that's all you did. I thought that was that was hilarious. That was uh, one of my favorite. That that was that was the Luke Skywalker I knew. He wasn't exactly that you know cocky, but I thought that was that was funny. Um, but at the same time, I thought it's pretty cool that he wasn't there. But the fact that he dies and that he's never going to be there, it's like that to me was pretty uh, anticlimactic. Like like that's how you're going to kill Luke. It's like that's his big that's his big send off is. Goes is, out in peace instead of going out in conflict. Yeah, it's like I thought. Well, first of all, I would say you don't like what Luke doesn't like. Luke doesn't have to die, does he? It's like I keep thinking. I thought this movie was going to end like Luke is finally going to hop in that X-wing. That's another thing. I thought here comes the X-wing and he's going to start taking out walkers by himself, and, and that didn't happen. Um, so it was a combination of it was really cool the astral projection. But when I think of what they could have done, like I thought they were going to do another Darth Vader Rogue One thing where it's like you're going to see like a Sith or a Jedi. You're going to see them tear shit up. And 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 that doesn't happen. 
it was it was a nice character moment, but I thought that's a little anticlimactic. But, Luke, but I was going to call you Luke there for a second, but Kurt. <laughs> um, again, though, this isn't Luke's story. Luke's story's done. Luke's story yeah. was done with with with, with uh, Return of the Jedi. This is not his story, and I think that having it end like that, where it would be like, but wait till next time. You know what I mean? With Luke is a mistake because this is Ray and Ben's story. This is not Luke's story. And what do we know about these I, old Jedi when they go down too? You know, Obi Wan Kenobi doesn't get much of a fight at the end because he knows my purpose here is to be a distraction and die. Yoda knows it's time for me to go. You you got to go do your own thing. So he withers away. And I think Luke is a combination of exactly those two things. I'm going to let, you know, I, he even gets the same line, like strike me down in anger. I'll be with you forever. Just like your father, which snow kid called out earlier. It's like, obviously that splits you in half. And then he he gets to go out the way he wanted, and Ray talks about that. It's like he he wasn't you know upset. It was it was peace. It was purpose. It was like I've done everything I need to do. I need to go. I think you're exactly right, Nick. This isn't Luke's story anymore. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are you know 34 years, and all I got to see Luke Skywalker do was milk a space alien and you know force project <laughs> himself. But it makes total sense. That's how these old Jedi go down. And he got to go down the way he wanted to. The three we've seen go down in their own terms got to do it exactly how they wanted it. And, and I thought and, it made and, sense. Perfect. I mean, he went down on his own terms. I mean, what else would have anybody wanted? Would it have been like, I want to see him get killed by Kylo Ren in a lightsaber battle, you know, actually get chopped in half? Did you want to see him, you know, right off into the sunset never to be seen again to me this is the most logical conclusion for him was he saved his sister he saved his you know the he rest saved of the, the resistance and, and he yeah, also he realizes i'm he and he drops the line i'm not going to be the last jedi and he's not just talking about ray you know he's he's talking about the forces unleashed to borrow a video game line hmm. yeah and that's and i think it's just a perfect ending for him where it's just like i saved him I, you know, I, I, the future is not in my hands. I tried that. It didn't work out. It's because I, I followed the ways of the old. It's, we're going to let everything kind of go out the way it is. And he basically stepped aside as he should. And that's what I think. I think there's a lot of people are just, they had all these ideas in their head of what they wanted. They wanted badass Luke Skywalker coming in there, battling Snoke and, you know, shooting force lightning and him and his green lightsaber, you know, projecting it back. And it's like, we've already had that. We've well, already had that, people. I, How much more of the same stuff do we need? That was everybody's complaint about The Force Awakens. It's the same thing again. We've already got this. Death Star 3, this and that. And it's like finally now it's like, you know what? You guys were you guys were kind of right. We're going to do something completely different. Now everybody's like, but no, I want it all back. And it's like, oh, my God, there's no pleasing anybody anymore. And like I, I will say – the way Luke goes out and everything he does dramatically was actually like – it was it was very well done. It was well written. But just to go full fanboy, come on. How amazing would it be if Luke did show up? Because the audience would have lost their minds. Sure, sure. If he If he did – like if he did say what Yoda did in Attack of the Clones where, you know, all of a sudden this frail guy just go, goes nuts, you know, as, as a Jedi. Like that – like it, as, oh. as, it was satisfying in its own way. But on the other hand, it's like there was a part of me just as a movie buff fan. It's like, come on, like, like it would just it would have been cool. Oh but no, it, look, it would have totally we, been we got cool. That with Vader, it would have been but we cool. We got that with him and Vader. But but I, yeah, I want to jump back to something. I, I I will say I think the 
we've seen Luke at the height of his power, Kurt, at the end of Return of the Jedi. You know, for all the problems both of us had with that movie, we both loved when he just went, you know, total berserko for sure on Vader. And I think we've seen that. I, I'm, I, I didn't know what I wanted Luke to do in this movie. I'm just glad he was in it, you know, because I I wanted him to be in Force Awakens. Apparently, Mark Hamill did do, and so that he had things to do, and that it's such a it wasn't what I expected or maybe had preloaded my brain with through 30 years of EU and expectations and all that kind of stuff. I, I bump up against it. But on the other hand, I get it because like I've said, this is how these guys go down. And if I wanted anything for Luke Skywalker is I wanted him to be able to go out the way he wanted. And I think we got exactly that. I mean, yeah, it would have been cool to see him force knock over all the ad ats and all that. That would have been awesome. Sure. But it's so much more satisfying that he is the sacrifice. He is what Ben was. Uh, you know, he, he learns that, I, and he's even said it, this isn't something that should be controlled by a small group of people anyway. Mm. And I'm not going to let that get, because I've seen that start. The, the one thing that I, about these two movies that I'm still just bumped up against is, can anybody explain to me how the hell the First Order came about anyway? I thought we were done <laughs> at the end of Return of the Jedi. Are they ever going to drop that? Maybe they will. But I, I kind of want to know how it all went back to hell again. But I, maybe that's well, episode I think it's, I think, I, But I think that's with anything, though. You know what I mean? It's like if it's not the Nazis, it's another group, it's another group. We're always at odds with each other, you know, and then someone else yeah. is going to pick up the remnants of it. But just my, my last point, though, about Luke Skywalker, and, you know, you know, Kurt, I don't know how much big of a sports fan you are, so maybe I'll just kind of relate this over to Jay is like, you know, I grew up watching Brett Favre, big Packers fan and, and kind of watching him, you know, that last year that he played for the Minnesota Vikings, just a shell of himself and just, you know, or like watching Jordan play for the Wizards or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, is that what we wanted for Luke Skywalker is to have him, you know, we saw, him, like you said, the height of his power and for us to what watch him just kind of whimper away and stuff like that to me or in the other regard is he fights against Kylo Ren, and he beats Kylo Ren, and then everybody's going, well, guys, now, now Kylo Ren's lost two fights. My God, this is a weak villain. You know what I mean? It's it's a no-win if they would have done it any other way. Well, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I like, like again, I, I because the movie's still fresh in my mind, and as such a fan of Luke Skywalker since I was, you know, you know seven years old, I, I, it's tough to disconnect from that to be like, mm-hmm. I, we're just like because Han Solo got to be a badass in in Force Awakens. He got to kick some ass, like that bit where he throws the guy into the monster, like a a, a classic Han Solo moment. And I just thought it, it's weird because it's like Luke does save the day, but not in the way I would have done. So it's a combination of because it's not a it's not bad, but I I can't help but think that it could have been a little bit more <laughs> satisfying. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you 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 want more of the action packed. You know what I mean? The, the crowd pleasing, everybody pumping their fist moment. A lot like you know, Attack of the Clones, where people saw Yoda fight and they were like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And now years later, I mean, I, I to me, I find that really silly. Where it's like, yeah, you, yeah, this guy, he should be elevated above that level at his way he is. He shouldn't be sitting there doing frog jumps and flipping around like a guy from circus Olay, he should be above that and luke skywalker was above that and again th- that's what i wanted so much in the prequels and thank you for doing that here can i say i i wanted hank schrader to shoot walt between the eyes but i didn't get that <laughs> either 
and it's from the yeah, same yeah. guy. So I yeah. I get it. Like I'm I'm like I wanted that because I loved that character on Breaking Bad. Maybe someday on a Fabage Factor we could do a Breaking Bad uh, mm-hmm. discussion. But I loved Hank. Hank loved, was one of my favorite things in that show, and the way he had to go down, I was like, oh, that sucks. But it's it's it works. But oh God, I really wanted him to shoot Walt. You know, but. That is, that is a Ryan Johnson thing. It's actually, I'm, I'm not going to spoil what happens in Looper for anyone who hasn't seen it, but just, you know, heads up, that kind of thing does happen where it's like, yeah, that's a good one. You get a satis- you get a, a, a dramatically satisfying ending, but it's not the ending you would have come up with. Right. And, and I think that's what we're saying. And that may be the whole review for this movie is you get a dramatically satisfying thing. It's probably not what you wanted. So. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's where they. But where do you think? Where it's, I it's ask, what the Star Wars universe needs, but not what. what, what what's the quote from Batman, Kurt? <laughs> it's come uh, on, the, you know, the, you know, you probably got this tattooed on your back. Come on, yes, yeah, it's, it's the it's the one it deserves, but not the one it needs right now. Yep. I just Thank hope you. it works out better than. Well, maybe we can understand everybody in the uh, the third uh, of this trilogy, unlike we could <laughs> Bane. At least they got rid of Kylo's mask for that. It's one thing we didn't really talk about too much was that last shot of the child with looking up at the stars. And to me, I think that's really something I think that all Star Wars fans, especially of our three generations, really need to take a look at in this movie is these movies, we grew up with these as nostalgia pieces. You know what I mean? We saw them and they're they're very nostalgic when it comes to us. But in the end, these these movies were never meant for us at this age. It's for that kid that's looking up at, you know, I mean at the stars at the end and everything. So I think that was a really, really great way for the movie to end. And I really hope people really do kind of take that to heart that, you know, what we can all have our preconceived notions of what these movies should be and everything like that. But in the end, that's who these are for. And I just really, really am thankful that they ended with that. And I really think that's what that meant. So uh, well, very, very, very quickly, I want to say that I 100 percent, that is what Ryan Johnson was doing. He was he was showing a kid looking up at the stars, you know. Like that's what you know. Star Wars is kids looking. It's 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 a it is a gorgeous moment. However, my problem with it is that you know a little uh, you know dirty little ch- small boy who's a slave with force powers. It's like I just immediately thought of Anakin Skywalker and Phantom Menace, and I thought I thought that, that's a weird choice. Like you're evoking the worst Star Wars movie as the thing to send the audience out on. But I did see the message there. I'm just saying for me personally, I thought. I'm thinking about Phantom Menace as I'm walking out of this 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 new Star Wars movie. And I thought that's the last thing I should be thinking about. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, guys, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. So, Kurt, Nick, what are yours for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi? Kurt. Okay, I I, I will say just before I get to you know what what I had prepared, this conversation has elevated the movie somewhat. I will also, uh, but however, on the other hand, I will say all of our favorite parts in the movie, the stuff that we say that was really good, probably only adds up to 20 minutes of screen time, which brings me to, uh, because yeah. it, it, it hurts a little, uh, a bit, this movie, because this was the first time I came out of a Star Wars movie and I wasn't over the moon about it. And what I mean is the first Star Wars movie I saw was, you know, the special editions in 1997, you know, I was over the moon. I was, you know, 11 years old, but, you know, Phantom Menace blew me away at the time. Same with Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith, Force Awakens, and Rogue One last year. And each of those times, you know, whatever age I was, I just came out beaming, huge smile on my face, thinking it was great, particularly Rogue One. 
which had, you know, like that was the first, uh, literally the first and only time an audience applauded, where I saw an audience applaud after the movie was over. And when I came out of The Last Jedi, I was feeling a little confused, just thinking, that's it? All this time to make a new Star Wars movie and and this is what they chose to do? Like there's more on the way. It's not the same kind of like where it's like, well, and, and nothing else will follow. But and it's like at this point, uh, I think I'm just kind of settled on thinking this was not a very good movie. Great parts like the acting was across the board, especially Carrie Fisher, who was very good, way better than she was in Force Awakens. Mark Hamill and Oscar Isaac were great. The dialogue in and of itself was good. The effects were solid. But like I said, I found the overall story in this movie to be the dullest of the series. Like Finn's entire story, search for a guy to unlock a door that doesn't end up going anywhere. Like they unlock that door. Turns out it, that, that didn't matter. They get arrested right after. I didn't feel the chemistry between the characters the same way as in The Force Awakens, mostly because they were separated in this movie. But unlike when they did that in Empire Strikes Back, I didn't care about the new character relationships. I kind of uh, – I'm, I'm head or tails on this, but I, I overall I would say I think the movie wastes an opportunity to bring back Luke Skywalker because he really does just kind of stand around on an island for two and a half hours um, and, then, and, and then die as opposed to how the, you know, the movie uh, Force Awakens handled uh, Han Solo. And this is something – we didn't touch on this really at all, but I thought – the endless parade of cuddly CGI creatures was stupid, <laughs> felt out of place, out of sync with what J.J. Abrams did in the last movie with all the practical stuff. I didn't really care for any of the new Star Wars stuff Ryan Johnson created and thought a lot of it, like that weird mirror dream scene came off as like pretentious and weird where she's snapping her fingers. Like I, she snapped her fingers like three times. Like I get it. It's, it's a reflection. And and overall, apart from a few moments in the movie, like the opening battle, which was great, that light speed kamikaze, Luke showing up at the end, I thought this movie lacked the big memorable moments. It didn't like like that unbelievable rush I got with the final act of Rogue One and through the entire battle and Darth Vader's scene or the emotional impact in, in, in Force Awakens when Han Solo died. I just didn't feel that uh, in this movie. And just, uh, just you know, never mind Star Wars movies. Just overall, after the year we've had for movies, which has been amazing, even just genre movies like Logan, It, War for the Planet of the Apes, Get Out, and especially another sequel with a renowned director taking on a beloved sci-fi property with original cast members, Blade Runner 2049. After seeing a movie like Blade Runner 2049 and seeing how it could put a polish on old material – while coming up with outstanding new ideas, I got a really hard time giving Last Jedi a pass, even as a lifelong Star Wars fan. It's not the worst movie of the year. It's no Justice League. But in my opinion, I, I, I it's tough to say. I think this is the worst Star Wars movie I've seen since The, the Phantom Menace. Um, who knows what the uh, pop culture opinion on this movie is going to be when the dust settles. If it's going to be thought of like the prequels are or if it's going to be... Maybe it's going to be hailed as a classic. Uh, and my original rating on this movie was just a small popcorn. But this conversation has elevated it a bit. I'm going to give it another shot, either in theaters or at home. But I got to say, I just I didn't like Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, and it gets a it gets a medium popcorn from me. All right, Nick. I just want you guys to breathe. <laughs> just breathe. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm trying to quote Luke there when he's helping let Ray out yeah. with there. So, so 
with me, you know, one, one thing I've kind of noticed about myself, especially like when it comes to other people is, you know, if you guys ever made a large purchase in your life, be it like furniture, appliances, car, what have you, even paying for a vacation is a lot of times people do that stuff and they get that buyer's remorse right away. Mm-hmm. They get that feeling like, oh my God, what did I just do? And from just reading a lot of people's reactions, I think that's kind of what's happening right now with this movie is they kind of have this remorse in them in a way. And I think what's going to happen is it's not going to be right away. It might be a couple months. It might even be a couple of years. But I really think when people look back at this, they're going to see this is really the turning point for the Star Wars franchise. Now, depending on where Episode Nine goes, I think really is how Episode Eight's going to go. Is Episode Nine turns out to be a really, really good movie. I think everybody's going to look back at Eight and say, thank you so much for doing that. It, it is a classic. It is something that we needed. It's something very, very you know, risky, but it paid off. And at the time, we didn't know how the series was going to end. We didn't know which story they were going to go to. So it's hard to kind of look at a story that's kind of sandwiched in between you know, two other ones and really kind of give it a fair judgment there. But as like what I've been trying to say right throughout this whole series or this whole show is I really like this. I, like I said, this is kind of like the game of Thrones for the star Wars universe where they really took people's expectations and they really flipped them on their head. I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, probably 90% of this movie. I do think the casino stuff was, you know, could have been done better. I think the, the the Finn character could have been used a little bit better itself. But for the most part, I just really, really, really was connected to this movie and really enjoyed what they did with basically telling the audience, hey, this is all about new characters. This is all a new stuff right you know, here. We're not going to sit there and just continually hit these same beats over and over again. We're going to do something new. So as I've always said is I'll always champion a risky failure over a safe bet. And this isn't a failure. It's a very, very good movie, and but it was risky and it paid off and it worked for me. And like I said, I really think in a couple of years, I think Kurt, you're going to come around to this. I really do. And I think that many, many people that are sitting there basically doing these, you know, posts on social media where it's like, hey, look at me, I'm going to talk really badly about this to get people to react, you know what I mean, are going to really come around to it eventually. So to me, it's a large popcorn. It really is a large popcorn. And I am really interested to see where they go next. I think this is probably the best Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back. I think it's right right there with uh, number two or number three on the overall list for me. But yeah, it's it's a large popcorn, and I'm really, really excited to see it. I'm not going to go see it right away again. I'm going to really let it kind of just simmer and really kind of, you know, like like a good whiskey. It's going to age a little bit. And then I'm going to go back, and you know what? I'm really looking forward to it. I, I told you both at the beginning of this that I was so glad I, I took the opportunity to see it a second time, that I took that piece of advice, uh, because I I caught things and I maybe accepted things differently having the shock worn off of it. But I told you both also my rating and overall thought about the movie didn't change at the end of seeing it again. And even going through this conversation and I've really enjoyed talking it because it has talked up some things for me that maybe I did bump up against before that I'm not so hung up on now. Uh, That said though, as an overall just arc of things, and I think Kurt, you really nailed it. What we really like or what I really like about this movie is 
not even a fifth of it. You know, it, there's so much in this movie that is perfunctory and just wasting time. And, and that's the thing I can say about this is I really wish an editor had taken a knife to this and said, you know what? We got to cut about 20 minutes out of this. If they could have trimmed this just a little bit, and I, I don't even, I can't even get into now what you could trim out. Probably the whole Finn thing, sadly enough. He, the, you'd have to really slim that down a lot, the whole casino thing and the breakout and all that mess. And you'd lose Benicio del Toro basically playing Space Finster from Usual Suspect. <laughs> but all of, if you trim that down, maybe it'd flow a little better. It's the fact that it takes so darn long to get to thematically satisfying things and dramatically satisfying things that maybe I didn't want or didn't know I wanted, but I get why they're doing it. That's the thing that hurts me the most about this. And it, it's why I put this movie in the same category that I put like attack of the clones. Like, I, you know, if you go back and listen to our review of that, Kurt and I more or less both gave that a minor pass because there's a lot of it. That's kind of, I mean, the love story that we all know is horrible, but like there's parts of that that really do work and, and that we like and stuff. And so we both were a little more favorable to it than especially the Phantom Menace. And I feel like this movie sandwiches itself somewhere between revenge of the Sith and, and attack of the clones for me. If I were to rank like all of them, you know, it fits right in there. There's stuff about it I really like, and I'm glad I got to see it again. And I, I won't see it in theaters again, but I, I own it, and I look forward to revisiting and seeing if you're right, Nick, that if in time, if I soften on it more as I go and go. But I feel the same about it now as I did the, the two times I saw it. It's medium popcorn, which means it's, it's good. Medium popcorn can be a passable thing, all right? Like I would say Thor Ragnarok is medium bordering on large popcorn. It's not really, you know, it doesn't really matter, but it's a lot of fun to go through. And this movie has enough fun in it that it gets me there. And moreover, it does twist things on its head and it makes me think. And I, I told y'all before, having to think in a Star Wars movie was not something I expected. So I'm, hmm. I'm happy that they've done that. But I'm also left with a lot of, I don't know what they're going to do to pick up on that. And I'm almost afraid of what they're going to try to reverse course on to to reset the the expectations, the boundaries. I don't know. Maybe JJ will you know completely go off to the left again. I don't know, but I, I am I'm curious to see where they go. Though I'm with you, Nick. I want to know what happens next. I'm glad we're only going to have to wait a couple of years to find out. Uh, thankfully, you know, for the Disney machine in some ways. In that way, I'm really curious to see where they pick up from this. But as a just rating this for what it is. I, I got to give it a medium popcorn. It's a good medium and it's, it, I think you should see it and, and I think you should see it and allow yourself to be challenged. I like movies that will challenge what I expect of them. And they ask me to, you know, get rid of my own biases and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I get a kick out of some of that. I mean, I'll read stuff and literature and, and politics and things. That's the complete opposite side of what I know or think I believe just to make sure I'm, I'm writing that I'm hearing it from everybody's point of view. So when a movie challenges my expectations, I bristle against it like a lot of what I've seen on the internet doing, and I think a lot of what you're reading and talking about, Nick. But I'm I'm willing to let a movie do that if I feel like there's enough there and there's just enough there for me to let it by. But I'm I'm gonna join Kurt in the medium popcorn rating. It's not the worst Star Wars film. It's not the worst film I've seen this year or, or you know in the last few years, but there's 
it's too darn long and it need it needed another cut. It needed another polish. It needed someone else to come in and go strike that, move that. They they needed to tighten it up. And I I, I wish this movie was a little tighter. I have a feeling when it comes out on on Blu-ray and you know home video stuff, it's going to be longer somehow. They're going <laughs> to throw another forty-five minutes back, and it's going to want to be like Batman, you know, <laughs> Superman, just, uh, Dawn of Justice or something. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I can't, and I can't imagine trying to whoo, sit through three hours of that. But I, for me, this is a medium popcorn. But I am intrigued to see where it goes, and so um, that's that's my final rating and final say on it. Well, fellas, thanks so much for jumping in on this with this. We we did this a lot faster than we normally you do these things but this was a big one we wanted to make sure we got out before the end of the year with the holidays and stuff and again thanks to both of you for being a part of film strip and everything that we do here and and going forward it's it's always great to get in and have conversations where we can you know push back and forth with each other we've been doing this together for several years now and i think we're just keep getting better at it if i may say so myself so i i've enjoyed the conversation and i appreciate you guys doing it folks thanks for downloading the podcast of course you can always find us on our website continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies all of our episodes are there we're on itunes stitcher google play please leave us a review let us know what you think of the show and we got one more coming for the year we got a christmas present for you me and brian and ron did the ben affleck uh classic i don't know reindeer games um because we always do some annual holiday garbage so that will show up on your feed probably new year or not new year's eve probably christmas eve maybe christmas day we'll try to get you an early present out there for one more podcast for the year before we come back in 2018 with uh what is shaping up to be a real exciting slate of stuff we got a lot of things in the in the plans and in the works and I can't wait to get to it and talk about that with you guys. Of course, Kurt, you'll be back with more Fabish Factor as uh, different things come around. You've kind of become our, our Marvel and DC genre uh, arm <laughs> of the, the podcast, and I'm fine with that. So, um, sure. Yeah. Happy to be it. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, more things. And like I say, I teased it out there. We, we, we probably need to go back and talk about Game of Thrones at some point, fellas, before it's over. <laughs> so we're, For sure. Uh, we're, uh, we're a couple seasons behind here at this point, but we, we may get back to that eventually. Of course, you can also find the new Angel Retro. Perspective. Brian and I have launched on the, the Art of Slaying feed, Path to Redemption is the name of that. We're going through the Angel series, doing something a little different with that, kind of doing block episodes, so check that out as well. Again, thank you for all of your support. Have a wonderful holiday, everyone, from everybody here at Filmstrip. For Kurt and Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.